What's good, and welcome to episode 16 of the Helmet Hoops and Homies podcast. I'm Matthew Garcia, here with my co-host and homie, the Hoops Guru, Patrick Moore. What's good, P-Moore? What up, homie? What's good, man? Not much. We're back after another extended absence. Uh, March has been a uh, a whirlwind, so um, yeah, a lot to catch up on. Um, and yeah, I know the listeners have been, you know, clamoring for more uh, audio bliss so <laughs> yeah yeah so thank you for listeners for sticking with us we're back uh hopefully there won't be any more breaks but you know life happens unfortunately and we we do the best we can here so a lot to talk about uh let's just get right into it so we'll get into it with uh what we're what we're drinking tonight so uh i'll kick this one off so i got a uh a glass bottle of a boiling diet black cherry Ooh. established 1891 so very see if you can see that my guy yeah uh nice so it's got like the nice the ice cold so i'm gonna go ahead and crack that open with my uh my coqui uh bottle opener i got from puerto rico when i went there oh nice yeah so i'm gonna crack <laughs> that open that sucker and uh, what do you got my guy um nice i got a uh a boulevard brewing company from Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, it's a experimental IPA. <laughs> IPA. Nice. Experimental. Nice. Yeah. Experimental. All right. So IPA. let's uh, let's, let's go ahead and crack this open here. Get it popping. I wonder if it has the same effect as a there can pop. <laughs> hopefully they can hear. Hopefully they could hear the uh, bottle cap. Yeah. Pop open. If, if um, not, I'll, yeah. I'll pull some clips off the internet and just put them in there. <laughs> <laughs> right, I'll just. There we go. So yeah, so let's get it popping for the show. Um, really quick, we will do uh, since today is March thirtieth, and when we're recording this, it is one. Of, we're going to give a shout out to uh, one of our homie of the show, one of our homies. It's their birthday. They're a loyal listener. So Nathania, uh, happy birthday from the homies. Hope you have a great day, and thank you very much for being an amazing homie. And uh, we hope you have a great day, and we appreciate you listening. Happy birthday, Natanya. And uh, now we have to get to some some sad news. So over the last couple of weeks ago, around that time, um, NFL reporter uh, John Clayton passed away after an illness. Uh, he was uh, a fixture on ESPN when we were growing up. He got hired in 95. He used to cover the Seahawks. And uh, he pretty much was our entire, what'd you say, our entire lives almost. He was on ESPN. He was there for over 20 years. Mm-hmm. So we literally grew up with this guy. Um, if you've seen the, uh, this is Sports Center with him where he's, uh, you know, he's like the the guy living with his mom still. And he's got the long hair and he's hilarious eating the Chinese food. He's like, mom, done with my segment. It's hilarious. <laughs> that was when, uh, that was like, I would say that's one of the golden ages of, of uh, Sports Center was those, this is Sports Center uh, clips. Those were a lot of fun. So we just want to give condolences to him. Uh, Deuce was really upset about it. He texted me. Uh, yeah. So yeah, me and we were all like around the same age. Me and you are the same age, and Deuce is not that much older than us. So mm-hmm. we kind of grew up. This is when Sports Center was king, because uh, we were talking about this is before um, you could just look anything up on your phone. The internet was around, but it wasn't really as prevalent. And so I would say um, probably till like 2010s is when the internet really took off. I would say like it's been around longer than that, but that's when sports became so much more easily consumed i would say so if you wanted to find out you know what was the score of the game whatever you check the newspaper or you you know clicked on espn or sports center or something and found it 
and he every time there's an NFL story, John Clayton was the one to break it usually. Uh, I like to say he was Adam Schefter before Adam Schefter, and he was Woj, the, the NFL version of Woj before Woj. Um, so that was uh, an Ian Rappaport and those guys as well. So I uh, just want to give condolences to him and his family. He was uh, uh, a really important part of our childhood just because like, he was always there when it was an NFL thing, and uh, he was nicknamed the professor, and I think it's pretty adequate. He knew his stuff. So um, what are your thoughts, homie, about, uh, about John Clayton as we uh, – as we say goodbye. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I feel like just sports center was such a big part of like the cable television era. So like in my house growing up, we had like a little, um, like a kitchen, almost like a little bar that stuck out that we called the Island and it would, and, and we had a little TV on there that when we like the kids ate breakfast in the morning for school, we'd like put different stuff on the TV and I always had like Sports Center on it, so I would always like just watch Sports Center at breakfast um, before school. So I'd always watch them then. Um, so I always think about yeah, just that era of like what like watching just Sports Center every morning and knowing everything because like before everything was just super localized. Like you would know about the sports teams in your area, but nothing else. And with like Sports Center top ten and like all of that, like it became more national. So that that was kind of cool. And then yeah. They used to have those um, hilarious like Sports Center commercials, and he had the best one of all. Where like the joke was, he had like this long ponytail because he was like bald at the top, and it looked like he was just like a balding man. Um, but they they were like, yeah, like they 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 have him in like this long ponytail as like some guy who like lives on you know lives in his mom's basement on the couch or something and like is eating like ramen noodles it's one of the it, it was like one of the funniest versions of a bunch like of those commercials which were hilarious in themselves like all of them were very good yeah um and he had like the he had the tearaway suit it was only like up to his chest that he ripped it yeah, <laughs> yeah. with uh, i went there like a, it was like a death metal or like a metal band yeah he had like a metal shirt, shirt on like yeah. slayer or something like that i want to say yeah but uh, yeah, um, simpler times, homie. Simpler times. This is uh, we we've been through it with uh, when sports was like you know you read the newspaper. And now we're up to it where it is now. So simpler times. Uh, John Clayton will be missed, and um, yeah. So R.I.P. to him and condolences to his family. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I mean it's he he was one of the OG ESPN TV personalities. I feel like. It's totally different now. It's gone downhill a lot for me. I don't. I like barely watch ESPN for like the news anymore. You know, I, I still go on the website a lot. I just don't. I don't watch the TV. But yeah, RIP. He was. He was a. He was a legend for sure. Yeah, I like. I watch uh, like first take. Um, and when I say watch, I mean I'll DVR it. And then if they talk about the same topic, you know, more than once, I usually can't take it anymore, and I fast forward it. Same thing for Undisputed, because you can only <laughs> listen to the same team. You know, when they're talking about Team 7 times, they just can't do it. Um, it's just me. But, uh, yeah, I don't watch SportsCenter at all anymore. It's just it's funny how things have changed. But he was a huge part of it. So uh, he'll be missed for sure. And uh, what better way to move on from that is to talk about some pigskin, right? He was a pigskin guy. So let's uh, let's get to our kicking it segment. Uh, NFL, there's been a lot of stuff going on, a lot of moves still being made. But we just thought that we would kind of give maybe a little bit of overview of some of the really big ones. So the first one that we're going to start off with, we're going to do uh, Matt Ryan, Matty Ice, got traded 
from Atlanta to Indianapolis for a third round pick. And uh, the Falcons are actually eating, I want to say they're eating over $40 million in dead money, which I think might be a record, an NFL record all time for a dead money charge. So we're starting to see a lot of these teams uh, just doesn't really worry. They're, they're willing to just cut these guys or trade them, move them. And they're not really worrying about the, the dead money. They just want to move on from them. And after they had traded Matt Ryan, they went and signed uh, Marcus Mariota to, I want to say it was a two-year deal, homie. It was two years, right? Yeah, it was. And then, um, so it's kind of like, because he had uh, experience with Arthur Smith, who's the head coach of Atlanta, when they were in Tennessee together. So that was their corresponding move. So how about you, home? How about you kick us off with this one? We're both Matty Ice guys. We uh, we um, enjoyed following his career. But how about you kick us off with uh, your Matty Ice thoughts and how is how this affects Atlanta, but also how does this uh, move, you know, improve if it does or help uh, Indianapolis' chances after they move from Carson Wentz, your guy, Redbeard? Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm a big Matty Ice fan. Um, just full disclosure. Um, I remember rooting for him back at like Boston when he was a quarterback of Boston college. Um, so I've always been a fan of his, um, you know, he hasn't been like great. I, I admit that the last couple seasons, I mean, he hasn't been terrible either. I would say he's like very middle of the road average. Um, he'll have games where he looks amazing and then he'll have games where he doesn't, he's just very inconsistent. Um, but still, even with how like inconsistent he's been and how bad the Dolphin uh, or the Falcons, excuse me, the Falcons have been, um, I just like can't believe all it took was one third rounder to get Matt Ryan. Especially if like you know, I don't know how many years are left on his contract, but yeah, especially like Atlanta taking one third rounder to eat all that money too, is just kind of crazy to me. Um, especially since they don't have like a long term plan, like. Like you said, Mariota's on a two-year deal. He seems like he's a holdover, right? Like, it seems like they're probably going to try to draft a new quarterback and have Mariota in there, unless unless he can really turn it around. Who knows? Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think him on the Colts, I, I definitely think the Colts got better. I mean, to me, that's an easy win for the Colts. Like, get to shed Carson Wentz again because – Washington was dumb enough to take him and actually pay you for him. And now you got, you got Matty ice who, I mean, like honestly him and Wetz's numbers probably don't look that different over the last three years, but I mean, he's been an MVP. So, I mean, you gotta, I, I gotta think like with a good strong running game and a great offensive line there in Indy that he'll be an upgrade over, over Carson Wentz for sure. Um, but yeah, so I don't know. Do you, do you feel like Indy gets better with this, or I, I think some people kind of think it's like a lateral move. I don't know. I'm also a Matty Ice guy. I remember, like you said, watching him in Boston College. I remember uh, uh, remembering when he went in the draft. He got drafted, things like that. So I've been a fan of him. Uh, just you know, he's he's really a when you think of a prototypical quarterback, especially in the not in maybe the the modern era that we're in now, the contemporary football. When you're thinking about like what's if you think about what a quarterback is their body type things like that he's he pretty much fits that mold that you would say so yeah I, i'm a lot of, i like maddie ice i think that uh it's a definite upgrade for indy i think we're both not really that high on wentz to put it lightly i think that you, you got better at the position with maddie ice i think he won't make a lot of those really terrible decisions that that carson wentz was prone to making and i think it's it's very possible that uh 
I think they're going to make the playoffs next year. It's a really weak division. I think the only team they really have to fight is Tennessee, and I think they can do that. You know what I mean? I think this comes down to – I mean, you got Jacksonville and you got Houston, who I think they're both going to be a little bit better, but I don't think they're going to be good enough to win the division, even though, you know, we all know the whole Jacksonville fiasco with me last year. I'm <laughs> thinking how well they're going to do. But, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, I mean, it's not going to be as – I don't think the division will be as bad as it was last year. But I still think you know Tennessee and Indy are going to fight to you know to win the AFC South, so I think it's I think it's a good move for them. I also think that it's just uh you know it gives you the type of leader that they seem to be wanting. They seem to Carson Wentz one of the knocks on him that we're hearing from Philly, we heard from Philly, but also from Indy now, is that uh, he's not really that great of a leader. He doesn't really inspire the guys, and that and Matt Ryan seems like a pretty pretty universally respected guy in the league. And like you said, he was an MVP. Atlanta just really hasn't been the same ever since they lost that they collapsed in that Super Bowl that we watched together. Yeah, I know. Against right? uh, New England, they just really they've just you know been reeling ever since then. And that's you know no exaggeration. So I think it's a, a definite upgrade for a third round pick to me. It's almost like, you know, that's that's a steal to me for a guy that uh, I'm not saying you know his best years are probably behind him. I understand that, but if you're looking for a really solid, consistent quarterback who's going to usually make the right play with that offensive line that they got and that run game with Jonathan Taylor, who might be the best running back in football along with Derrick Henry. I think it's, I think it's a move that you just kind of had to make, but I will say the same thing I said when Denver uh, took, when they traded for Russell Wilson, Denver and Indy now as well is another team that's going to have to learn how to draft a quarterback and develop a quarterback. You cannot just keep getting these guys you know, other teams have done a great job in drafting them and they're they're good players and then just getting retreads on them. You're gonna have to learn how to do that yourself too, because ever since Andrew Luck retired, surprisingly, they haven't been able to do that. And I think they're gonna have to learn how to do that. Like the front office like Ballard, Chris Ballard has to learn how to, you know, figure that out in the draft. And Frank Reich, if he's still there down the road, will have to do the same. But I mean it's a good move. It makes a lot of sense to me. Definite upgrade over Carson Wentz. And I think uh uh, I don't know, homie. I feel like Washington's probably kicking themselves a little bit. <laughs> like, man, we could have given just a third round pick and got Maddie Ice because I feel like they probably would have made that move. You know what I yeah. mean? I mean, I would have. I would have been like, okay, for sure. So um, we'll see what happens, but I think it's a good move for Indy. Yeah, yeah, me too. I, I yeah, I don't get Washington not doing that, um, especially since it's. I think it's cheaper. I think they had to give up two two third rounders and one of which can become a second for for Wentz anyways so I don't know maybe they wanted someone younger like maybe I don't know why they would think this but maybe they're like well we're the team that's really going to get the most out of Carson Wentz I that's probably what they're doing but um yeah it seems kind of silly for them to pass up on like a good veteran quarterback um because they're they're not like that much further behind Indy, honestly, in terms of like how good their defense is. They've got a pretty good running back. They've got some good some good pieces on the line. So, um, yeah, no idea what they're doing. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm excited to see I, again. Like, I don't really see the ceiling for this team being much higher than it was with Philip Rivers as their quarterback. You know, two years ago before Carson Wentz. You know, he was good. He brought them into the playoffs. He made them competitive. But like, I don't know if this is gonna like unleash the uh, the the Colts as like a, a contender or anything. I think it just allows them to continue to compete for the playoffs um, moving forward. 
Yeah, I agree with you. I think uh, I think they can win a division and or make the playoffs as a wild card, possibly. I also think that um, for me right now, just given as presently constructed before the draft, I would say for me their ceiling is probably they could win a playoff game. Like I'm not mm-hmm. saying they can go to the championship game, but I think they can win a playoff game because you, you yeah, think about wild card around. Phillip Rivers. Yeah, you think about what Philip Rivers, they got there. They gave Buffalo all they could handle, and Buffalo came through barely, but they did. Mm-hmm. And I think I think Matt Ryan is a better quarterback at this stage than Phillip Rivers was at the same stage they got him. Slightly. Not not much, but I think slightly. Yeah, pretty similar. I mean, I, mean yeah. I think Phillip Rivers is a Hall of Fame quarterback. Let's just put it out there. I do think that. Some people disagree. Yeah. I think he is. He's got the numbers. Not really so much success, but he is. Matt Ryan, I also think he's on his way, if he's not already, Hall of Fame quarterback as well, given that he did win an MVP. Did go to yeah. the, did go to Super Bowl. Granted, they collapsed, but that's not, all. That is to say that I think he's a little bit better than where Rivers was a couple of years ago, and I think that Rivers got him just within barely losing that game. I think mm-hmm. I think Matty Ice, given that he's been to a Super Bowl, he's been he Atlanta lived in the playoffs for a long time. They went to the championship game two times. I mean, he's got the experience. I think he could he could they could at least win a game. I think they need some more weapons. Besides Pittman's a nice option. I think they need a little bit more. For me, yeah. they'll probably address that in the sure. draft. It's, a, it's another really deep receiver draft like it was last year. So I think they're going to get better. But right now, I can see them winning a game. But I'm not really I'm not willing to go out and say, oh, they're going to, you know, go to the AFC Championship game. I have to still wait and see. But it's a good move. Yeah. So I, I, saw, I saw Darius Leonard, like, uh, lobbying for Julio Jones to come reunite with Matty. That would be, yeah, I never even Did thought you- about that. That would be good. Do you think that would be good? Like, would that like Pittman's kind of similar to Julio in a lot of ways, big body and stuff. Maybe they need more of a speed guy since T.Y. Hilton looks pretty toasted. <laughs> I don't know. He doesn't yeah, T.Y. Well. Hilton. I don't know, man. I don't, I don't know if yeah. he's. I don't think he's that guy anymore. I don't think he's definitely. To me, he's he's he's, he's him sparingly. He's always hurt now, unfortunately. Yeah. But he was a, he was a good player. Yeah. But it looks to me like he's he's um, losing it a little bit just because injuries have kind of robbed him. So they definitely need another guy because all you're going to do is double Pittman, basically. Moelle mm-hmm. Cox is a really nice option that they re-signed as a tight end. But Moelle Cox, to me, is not he's more of a red zone threat. He's not really, you know, a, a possession type of, of tight end. They, yeah. You can kind of bail you out if there's nowhere else open. But, uh, I mean, we'll see what happens. But, yeah, uh, Julio or Quintoris Jones um, yeah. uh, would be really interesting to see them reunite in Indy of all places. Who would have thought, right? Uh, but we'll see. That's another. That's another one that we're waiting to see what happens is with uh, with Jones and where he's going to sign. Because yeah. I think that can, depending on where he signs, especially maybe if he signs with somewhere in the NFC, that can kind of make a lot of things happen if he can stay healthy as well. So, uh, the next big move that happened a few weeks ago is uh, Devontae Adams, in a surprising oh, move, did not re-sign with Green Bay. He was uh, traded to the Las Vegas Raiders. And um, he was traded for a first-round pick and a second-round pick, I want to say. And uh, he signed a you know huge contract extension. I want to say the annual average is around 28 and a half, which made him the highest-paid wide receiver for a little while, a week maybe. Yeah. And um, and so the Tyreek Hill deal went through. So he was the highest-paid receiver for maybe a week, and uh, he spurned Green Bay and he said, "Yo, I'm going. I want to go to Las Vegas and I want to play with Derek Carr." So mm-hmm. uh, they were teammates at Fresno State. So I think that's a huge shakeup in the in what's going on in the NFC with Green Bay now. Lost their number one receiver and by far their best player. 
aside from Aaron Rodgers. And now that makes uh, the AFC West even more competitive, which is insane. So uh, what do you think, homie, about uh, Devontae Jones going to the Raiders? Well, yeah, I mean, I I was pretty shocked that they tried. I, like, I thought he was just holding out to see if Rodgers was going to come back. And yeah, I think Rogers I said did. Devontae Jones. Did I say Devontae Jones? My bad. Devontae Adams. Oh, maybe. I don't Maybe. know. Maybe. My I bad. Devontae catch- Adams. My bad. My bad. Go ahead. I, I, I didn't catch it. Um, yeah. The Julio thing uh, got me. So, yeah, go ahead, yeah, man. My bad, my bad. But, but yeah, Adams, um, I, I just was sure he was going to go back to um, go back to Green Bay and run it back. Um, but I also, like, understand, like, with how much the Raiders paid him, um, if that's like the offers that Green Bay was competing with, I could see after giving, you know, Aaron Rodgers, what, 50 million a year. I mean, like, oh, we're going to use two thirds of our salary cap on one quarterback and receiver like. Eh. Um, but I mean, they also lost um, Valdez Scantling, too. So they lost really like their two top receivers, in my opinion, um, Marquez Valdez Scantling. So they, they're I don't know, like. They were in a bad place there. They just they they're paying Aaron Rodgers too much, and they have some guys signed on the defensive side of the ball who are good. Um, but yeah, I mean, like some people might say, like his success, Adam's success, was a product of playing with Aaron Rodgers or playing under in Lafleur's system. But I would not be surprised to see this offense take a big step back without him. I think he did a lot, and he unlocked a lot of stuff for them. So. That's that's big. And yeah, I mean, him reuniting with Carr is like a good story. They're both, you know, out of Fresno State, not really a big powerhouse um, program or anything. And now they're reunited in the um, NFL in Vegas, which like, you know, not probably not that far from Fresno. Um, You know, they're both in, you know, Nevada and then California. So, um, yeah, I think it's kind of a good story. Um, I think this is the best receiver that cars had really since um since uh amari cooper when he was back on the raiders and they had a really good connection so um yeah i i think it's i think it's cool i think it like helps now that you know he might not be the best quarterback in that division but he probably has the best receiver in that division now so um you know that's 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 a big boon for Carr. yeah i agree I think uh, Devontae Adams, to me, is the best wide receiver in football, along with DeAndre Hopkins. I think mm-hmm. they're pretty much – they're right there, neck and neck, 1A, 1B, however you want to say it. But when I think of best receiver in football, it's definitely between Adams and Hopkins for me. I yeah. put Jamar Chase as third on that list. I know he's only he only played one year, but I think he's, if he's not there already, he will be there. I think he's just that explosive, that dangerous. That Teams teams are definitely going, in, going into next year game planning for Jamar Chase. So I think Devontae Adams and Hopkins are the two best. So, I mean, when you can get the best receiver in the league on your team, you're instantly a better team. I don't care who you are. I don't care how good your team is. Uh, quarterback's best friend is a great wide receiver, a good offensive line, right? So, obviously, the, the Raiders line is solid. And then you think about they brought Max Crosby back. They re-signed him. Mm-hmm. And I think they're going to have to – I think they're going to have to – um, re-up with Derek Carr as well, because obviously that was a big selling point for Adams to go there. So I think Carr's security is 
is finally not going to be in question anymore. That was a huge question mark because, you know, is Derek Carr still going to be the quarterback? Can you upgrade? And uh, I, I like Derek Carr. I think he's a really solid quarterback. I don't think he's a I don't think he's a top ten quarterback necessarily, but I think you can definitely win a Super Bowl with Derek Carr. Yeah. I don't think I don't think he's in the Kirk Cousins, Jimmy G, Baker Mayfield, um, that type of Carson Wentz, mm-hmm. that type of conversation. He's better than that. Yeah, like he, I, if you look at his even the numbers he put up last year, he was in the MVP conversation for at least a few weeks last year. He was balling up. Now, so I don't think I think he gets a lot of flack, and I don't really know why. So I think having he's I think he's gonna have probably his best year of his career this year. Just having when you have, like I said, a guy that's that big, strong, explosive, can huge catch radius in Devontae Adams, that's gonna open up so many things. And you got Darren Waller too, where Waller's not your only your only, you know, he's your security blankets. Could you imagine how many more yards he's gonna get as well? With Adams they had to put your number one or double Adams, you leave Waller open. Uh, Hunter Renfro is a really solid slot receiver. Mm-hmm. I think that I think I think Vegas is just this is a home run for them. Absolutely huge move for them. And from what I was hearing, Green Bay did have the option to match the offer, and they were going to or exceed it. And something happened where I don't know if Aaron Rodgers was like, you know, yo, just let him. He wants to go to Vegas, let him go. Or if Adams was like, I don't want to be here anymore. I want to go to Vegas. I don't really know what happened. I'm not going to speculate on it. But I did hear from several sources that uh, you know that I read or I saw that the Green Bay was was had every intention of matching the offer that Las Vegas gave Adams or exceeding it, and he it didn't work out. So for whatever that's worth, uh, he's in Vegas now. I think it makes. It, I don't think Vegas is you know the fourth best team. I think there's a conversation. I think they're who's the quote worst team in that division because every team in there, I think is a playoff caliber team. And if you put, if you put the Raiders in the AFC South, they're going to win. I think they would win the AFC South. I really do. Yeah. I think they're better than Tennessee. You know, Tennessee was the one seed last year. I understand that. I think they're better than Tennessee. I think they're better than Indy. Just given everything that they got. And I mean, that pass rush with Max Crosby is insane. He's, he's so talented. So yeah, I like this move for the Raiders. Um, I really do. So I think it's I think it's a home run move for me, and it kind of brings to, uh, brings to mind one that we can talk about briefly, of uh, a Tyree Kill trade to Miami, or mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not as high on that one. I know a lot of people are like, oh, it's a great move. Um, Tyree Kill's a top five receiver. He's a very talented receiver. He is. I'd rather have a guy like like Devontae Adams, a guy like you know. Jamar Chase, um, Hopkins, DeAndre Hopkins. I already have guys like that. And I feel like Tyreek Hill is very talented, but I feel like they already have a guy who can be – is a very similar type of receiver on their roster already with happy feet, Jalen Waddle. So I don't really get the move. They gave him a four-year, $120 million deal, so $30 million a year. So he very quickly passed up uh, – Highest uh, salary ever for wide receiver within a week of Devontae Adams. So I don't really, I don't like the move that much for me. I don't think it's a horrible move. I don't think it was a bad move for them. I just don't really get the move. If you feel me, like I don't really understand why they did it. I, I think given the type of player that Tyreek is and the type of quarterback that Tua is, it doesn't make a lot of sense for me. Uh, unless you're gonna unless you're gonna run a lot of plays, and we'll see what McDaniel runs, but unless you're going to have a lot of screen passes 
or end arounds or dump offs and to say, here, Tyreek, I'm going to throw you the ball five yards and you, you know, make something out of it, which he is very capable of doing. He's arguably the fastest receiver in football. But you already have a guy in Waddle over a thousand yards, well over a hundred catches in a rookie in his rookie season that nobody really talked about that much because Miami missed the playoffs again. They're eight and nine, I want to say. So I feel like that with that money and that, that capital, which they gave up a lot to get him as well. I think that would have been well spent or better spent, maybe improving the defense a little bit, improving the line a little bit more, or in the draft, addressing multiple needs. Because I don't think wide receiver was really a need for me, for Miami. I know they said maybe one more weapon in the draft. But they got Gasecki already, and and they have Waddle, who I think Waddle to me is already proven he can be a number one, or he is a number one to me. So the Hill one doesn't make too much sense for me. It doesn't really make much sense for me in Kansas City side either. I don't I mean, I mean, I guess this the money thing doesn't really make sense. So it is what it is with them. Uh, I'm not going to lie to you and say that I'm heartbroken that Kansas City's a worse team now. It actually makes me kind of happy. And we both know the reason why for that. I'm not going to front. I really don't care. You know why? But uh, from Miami's standpoint, which is, I think to me is the focal point here uh, for us, I don't really get it. Good player. I'm happy he got his money. It had nothing to do with the money because the Jets would have given it to him as well. And the Jets, I think, this might sound shocking. I think it's a better move for the Jets just because the Jets desperately need a number one receiver. And the Dolphins already got one on a rookie deal. You know what I mean? So I think the fit with Zach Wilson, who we're not really high on, but he definitely has a much bigger arm than Tua does, makes more sense to me. But what are your thoughts, homie, like about the whole really quick about the Tyreek Hill trade before we move on to a couple other things in the NFL? Yeah, I mean, I think you touched on most of it. It's pretty obvious what the Dolphins are going for, and that's a lot of speed. Um, They got Mostert, who's really, really fast. They got Waddle, who's super fast. They've got Tyreek Hill. And I think I, I get the motivation of, like, we have a guy who's not really, like, you know, known for having a huge arm, but he's super accurate. So like get the ball in the hands of these really speedy dudes and they'll get us all these yards after the catch. I, I get it. But yeah, like for me, it's what you gave up to get a guy who I feel like Waddle can be better than, you know, um, you know, you're paying Tyreek Hill like a more than Devonte Adams, which he's definitely not as, multi-dimensional receiver as Devontae Adams. I mean, Hill Hill's a good receiver. Don't get me wrong. I think a lot of people like talk about him like, oh, he just runs straight down the field. It's like, no, he's 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 a good receiver. He knows how to run routes. He knows how to sell routes, but it's his explosiveness that opens everything up. You know, with his size, if he wasn't as explosive off the line or, you know, coming out of his routes, it wouldn't matter. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just don't really get paying that dude. I'd rather get maybe a big-bodied possession receiver or something opposite Waddle, right? Um, a guy like Julio Jones or something like that, you know, who can make those contested grabs, um, you know, because Tua can put the ball where those guys can get it. Um, but I don't know. We'll, we'll see. Like, if McDaniel is as creative offensively as Shanahan is, he'll find ways to get – everyone that you get, get all those guys, the ball, right? Like I think Shanahan say what you will about his, his, his ability to win the big games and stuff, but 
he does find a way to get his playmakers the ball. That's never been an issue with him. So if McDaniel is going to do the same thing, I, I, I can see an upside here. It's just you, you gave him the biggest wide receiver contract in history and traded two or was it like two or three high high draft picks as well? Um, and so that's just to me a lot to give up um, for a receiver who I mean, how, do you, how old is is Hill right now? Is he he's not like a spring chicken anymore, right? I want to say twenty eight. I could be wrong. Yeah, I'll actually I'll actually look it up because I don't want to you know sound like a fool. But I want to say he's late twenties for sure. He's mm-hmm. not, he's not twenty five. No, watch him be twenty five, <laughs> but now he's not. Pretty sure so let's see. Yeah. Tyree Kill is 28 years old. Wow, I was on the money. Yeah. I can't believe it. I actually got something right. Well, I mean, a broken clock is worth twice is right twice a day, right? So yeah, but there uh, you go. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think I agree with you about what the dolphins are trying to do. I think dolphins are also saying, like, look, to a torch, you got all these weapons now. You gotta, you know what I mean? You gotta show everybody why we took you number five. You know what I mean? And I mean, I, I think Tua definitely has the ability to do that. I just don't really think the fit makes any sense to me. But I will say, but I mean, it also could just be, I think Tyreek Hill is a very talented player, but I don't like the fit. I think Tyreek Hill is better with a guy with a, with a cannon for an arm. Mm. Justin Herbert, I think is a better, would be a better fit with a quarterback like that. I don't think Tyreek Hill is a great fit with a guy like Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson has a, he has a good arm, but Lamar Jackson is more of like, a dart thrower type of quarterback. I mean, he can let it loose. He has a better arm than Tua, of course. But I would, I think Lamar guys like Lamar, and I'm not putting Tua in Lamar's, uh, you know, category. Lamar's an MVP. He's a superstar. But guys like that, Josh Allen, I think would be a guy like Tyreek Hill would be a great fit for a guy like him. Mm-hmm. But I think if they had done this with Devontae Adams, who you can say, yeah, he's a deep threat type of guy too. But he's also just a really good receiver huge catch radius he can be a possession type of receiver which is a, it's kind of crazy for a guy that talented can either be your deep threat or your possession receiver he's just a superstar i would have been like all over it i'm like that's a great move Devonte adams you give up all that and you pay him all that money i would have had no problem with it because i think he's the best receiver in football tyree kill i don't know i'm trying to think i was trying to think really quick homie at the top of my head who who are receivers I'd rather have over Tyreek Hill? And like I said, this is no shade at him. I'm just talking about as a fit. Or who as if I'm thinking about, okay, I need a number one receiver. And I'm looking at the number one receivers, who would I rather have? We mentioned three already. Adams, Hopkins, Chase. I'd rather have those three. I'd rather have DK Metcalf over Tyreek Hill. Am I wrong for thinking that? I'd rather no, have DK I don't, Metcalf. I don't think so. He's younger. He's same he's explosiveness. Huge target freak athlete he's like the other end of the spectrum where he he's crazy fast um but like more and less of a in a quick twitch kind of way like hill is really fast straight line obviously um but then he has that elite quick speed but metcalf has you know the size and like the straight line speed um they're both kind of like freaks in their like athletic freaks in their own way yeah um i'd take justin jefferson over tyree kill yeah, I don't think there's anything wrong with uh, – I don't think you're wrong on that one, my guy. I really don't. Yeah. Um, I'm really – but we're really high. We're high on Tua. We are. We're optimistic about Tua, I think. Uh, we think that – we see the talent, and if he can stay healthy, we think he can be a really solid quarterback. Am I saying he's ever going to be a top five? I don't think we see that. Yeah. But can I see him being in, uh, you know, that Derek Carr in terms of, like, the that type of quarterback he is? You can win a Super Bowl with him. 
He can get you. He can make plays when he needs to. I think he can be that type of guy. Fringe, definitely in the top half of the quarterbacks, let's say. I mean, he can be that for sure. Maybe fringe top 10, given if everything falls right for him. But uh, we'll see, right? But the thing is with me is that we're both really high on Jalen Waddle, and they're they're similar players. It's this thing I just can't really get past. And I feel like Waddle might have a, a huge year, even more than he did last year, because he's probably going to be their number two now. But I just don't, it doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. But I mean, I mean, I, I applaud the Dolphins for making the plunge. They've they even signed uh, Armstead for the offensive line. So I, I think it, I think they've really plunged in free agency, and they're kind of doing the best they can and give to everything he needs or they think he needs. So we'll see. I think Miami's. It's not. I don't think it's crazy to say Miami's may, might be the second best team in that division now after Buffalo. So. I mean, we'll see what happens, but an interesting lot of wide receiver moves and just on Metcalf really quick, um, he's going to get paid. When he be, when his contract is up or whatever, he's going to get paid. If Tyreek Hill got $30 million and Devontae got $28.5, um, I, think he's, I think it starts at 28 for DK Metcalf when it comes up. It's going to be another year or two at least. He's going to get paid. So, And guys like Chase instead are going to be making huge money. I mean, the, the market of all these players has just gone through the roof, which is the way it should be. You know what I mean? It's a very dangerous sport. So I'm happy for the guys. I'm happy for them. And we'll, we'll see what happens. So the last uh, bit of breaking news that we just saw before we got on was that uh, Bruce Arians is uh, stepping down as head coach of the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and he's going up to the front office as a senior uh, consultant, I want to say is the term that they gave him, the title. And Todd Bowles is now the head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I haven't, I didn't get a chance to see it. I don't think they named it yet. Who would be the DC now that Todd Bowles was their DC is now the head coach. So I'll go first on this one, homie. So it makes a lot of sense to me. I think it's a good move given that everything that I've been hearing was that Tom Brady wasn't necessarily wanting to retire, but he didn't really get along with Bruce Arians. His coaching style was a little bit too loose. He likes him as a person, but he didn't like when he would call him specifically or just guys out in the media. Uh, he was very combative in the media. He was more, he was used to the, he, I think he's really used to the New England thing where it's like everything is hush-hush. We talk about it as a team. We don't really get outside of that. And I think also from what I was hearing from multiple sources that they've been talking about is that Tom Brady is really, uh, he's a perfectionist. We get that he's, a, you know, He's that type of guy. And Bruce Aaron is a little bit more lax, which, I mean, there's different ways to be successful. I'm not knocking that. But I think there was a thing where Tom Brady didn't really want to come back to the Buccaneers, but he's like, well, you know, I thought I'm going to come back. And I think there was a, something I had heard where they had created some sort of a buffer between the two of them where Bruce Aaron used to have a little bit more input into the offensive meetings in terms of what plays and game plans with Leftwich and Brady, and then they kind of made a buffer where it's like Bruce Aarons is basically just the overseer, like a head coach usually is, and it's just Leftwich and Brady. But it makes sense to me. This is definitely – they did. This, I think they did this move for Brady, and we'll see what happens this year, but I wouldn't be surprised if he stays another year after this if he wants to come back. I mean, obviously it's very premature. But this is a Brady move all day long, and nobody can tell me otherwise given what I've heard. But I'm really happy for Todd Bowles, though. We both thought he should have got another chance, a realistic chance to, to be a head coach again after the Jets, which, I mean, we both know how success, how difficult it is to be successful with the Jets 
they've just been in a slump for a very long time. So I'm really happy for him. Uh, I think it would have made more sense to me for Leftwich to be the head coach. This, but I think maybe, I think maybe that Brady really wanted to keep him as OC because they had a really great rapport. You don't want to lose that necessarily with Leftwich having to oversee everything. But I'm really happy for Todd Bowles. Well deserved, a great job. And I don't see them missing a beat in terms of how successful they can be. They're very. They have a very real chance to win the NFC this year, given how how winnable it is. It's 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 open. It's it's wide open in the NFC especially with Green Bay losing Adams. So happy for Todd Bowles. Congrats to him. It's nice to see somebody, uh, you know, who's we think is very qualified, get another chance, a second chance. And uh, I think I think Tampa Bay is going to just, you know, pick right up where it left off and continue to do well and win that division, which is very winnable. But what are your thoughts, homie, about uh, Tampa Bay and Arians and Bowles? Yeah, I was surprised that he retired. Um Especially, I don't know, kind of, I, I, I thought he was kind of like lobbying for Brady to come back. Um, I mean, any head coach would, I guess. But, um, yeah, I don't know. It, it, I, I hadn't heard the same things you had, but that, you know, with Brady retiring and then unretiring and then him retiring, there was clearly something going on um, and some type of like, uncertainty at the very least and maybe some some tension so um yeah i mean leftwich we both think leftwich and bulls should have been considered for head coaching jobs so i think they can take that over i think they were doing most of the play calling anyways i'd be curious to see if they like keep running arian's you know system um you know i don't or if leftwich is going to maybe have more control over the like larger scheme. Um, you know, he already had the play call and control, but I wonder if he'll try to implement or put some more of his fingerprints on the offense, or maybe, you know, Tom, Tom Brady will put more of his fingerprints on the offense to get more of what he wants, you know? Um, so yeah, just curious how that plays out, but I don't think like this hurts them in any major way. I think at, at, at this point in his career, Arians was largely a culture guy. And if that culture isn't working for Tom Brady, then and and it's between him and Tom Brady, you you pick Tom Brady. Um, it's a pretty easy, um, pretty easy decision, I think. So, um, yeah, I mean, he's still with the team. He's in the front office, so that's good. He'll still keep getting paid and gets to be around football and stuff. But um, yeah, I don't think this this has huge real. Re- huge implications for the Buccaneers. I mean, it's not like they're throwing out a, you know, a first, you know, 30 year old first time head coach out there or something. It's Todd Bowles. He, he's, uh, he's done this before. Yeah. I like Arians. I was a fan of him. There were some things that I think that first year before they won the Super Bowl when they were seven and five, there were some things that me and you had talked about uh, where I was critiquing certain things that he was doing. And then when they opened up the offense, everything kind of clicked. So uh, I will miss the Kangol hat, and I will miss uh, – he was really blunt, and I still have a clip on my phone of an interview with him before the NFC Championship game against Green Bay, and they're asking about the Super Bowl. And I'm going to paraphrase here, but he said something to the effect that it's hilarious. He was like – with his Kangol hat, of course. He said, I'm not worried about the Super Bowl. He goes, we play the Packers in the NFC Championship game. He goes, you think about the Super Bowl. That's when you get your ASS kicked and be packing your bags on Monday. <laughs> Yeah, And I'm like, if that's not the perfect Bruce Arians quote, and I don't know what is. Um, yeah. I think he was. I think Bruce Arians is a good coach. I do. I do too. But I'm happy. I'm really happy that uh, 
they both they found something that could be good for both of them. Because if he would have got fired, I would have I would have I would have critiqued Tom Brady that it's not right, man. You, just, you know what I mean? You guys don't get along. There's a way you can make this work in terms of you know kicking him upstairs, which they did. So I'm happy he still gets to stay with the team. He deserves it. He's a good coach. He did a good job with when he was interim in Indy. He did a, he did a good job in Arizona. Uh, I think he's just an old school type of guy. You know what I mean? Sometimes that doesn't really fly as much anymore. But I'm happy for him. You know, he's he still has a he's involved with the team, and uh, he's I will say this: he's he's darn good at picking his staff. He picked a great staff with you know with Bowles and Leftwich and Armstrong. Um, he picked a great staff. So Bruce Aarons, he definitely has an eye for talent when it comes to coaching as well. So really happy for him. And obviously, I think this this is all Brady. And I, I agree with you. If it comes between Arians and Brady, and you can make Arians happy and give him a job still, then you you pick Brady all day long. You pick the, you pick the player. You do. You know what I mean? So that's that's that. And uh, really quickly, I want to I want to go ahead and talk about some some rule changes that we had had. And then after that, I will get into our famous number sixteen since we are on episode sixteen. Uh, we will go ahead and give that after we talk about these rule changes. But the first rule change I want to talk about is the one that we can just give a quick thought on. It's uh, the overtime, the playoff overtime rule. So, so usually the way the playoffs had worked last year was that the team that wins the coin toss, they obviously always choose to receive. Why wouldn't you, right? But if you score a touchdown on opening possession, then you automatically win the game. And the other team does not get a chance to possess the ball. So we saw this happen with the Buffalo Kansas City game, the dreaded 13 seconds where Buffalo's defense forgot how to play, unfortunately. Um, and we saw we both had said this while we were watching the game. You know, whoever wins the toss is going to win this game because both defenses are playing terrible. And we saw that was the case, and that seemed to be the case uh, every time, right? And I, I don't really, I didn't really agree with that. So now the new rule is that both teams, regardless of who wins the toss, will have a chance to possess the ball. And if they both, you know, equal the score, so if both teams kick a field goal, then the next score wins. So then it will go to sudden death, but both teams will have a chance to possess the ball. So a lot more strategies are going to come into play here. But, I mean, really quickly, I like the rule change. It makes a lot of sense to me. I didn't like the whole idea of a coin flip deciding a playoff game or a chance to go to the Super Bowl. And we also saw when we watched the – we talked about it earlier, the Atlanta-New England Super Bowl, we had both said if New England wins this coin toss, they're going to win the game. And they won the coin toss, and they won the game and that because they had all the momentum. That's just the way it goes. Uh, I saw some people that didn't agree with this at all. They were angry about it. Like, you know, just keep – like Coach Tomlin from Pittsburgh – it's like he likes sudden death, which I totally respect. It's an old school view. I respect that. But I think in today's day and age where everything is rigged for the offense to be successful and teams didn't really play defense that much in the playoffs, it makes sense to me. It's obviously going to make more money for the league, which will mean more money in the players' pockets ultimately. So I'm cool with it. So I'm really happy with this rule change. I didn't know if it was going to happen because I think they needed 24 out of 32 votes in favor, and they did get it. So I'm happy with that. So – Great rule change to me. What about you, homie? You like this rule change? Yeah, I, I think it makes sense. I, I and I also like that they're like for now just doing it in the playoffs. You know, like so, like let's not like let a coin toss send a team home kind of thing. Which which I get. Um, I I also understand people who you know don't 
who who are sudden death advocates. It's like Tomlin has a point. Like you have sixty minutes to win a football game, um, but like a coin flip does to me feel like almost giving one team um, the win just because even, even with all the rules that allow offenses to be more, you know, uh, you know, prolific and everything these days, you know, the biggest thing, and to me, this has always been, it's like defenses are so tired at the end of the games. And like, I think it's just easier to play tired offense than it is to play tired defense a lot of the time. Um, And maybe I'm just full of it. And, you know, I've never, never played football at any level. So, you know, I could just be, you know, totally, totally wrong, but that's what it seems to be. It seems like defense is tired down and offense. All they need is like one big play to break everything open and the defense, like it's one slip up and you're, you're kind of done. So, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I think it it just it it made sense. It was something that I knew was going to be coming after, you know. This has happened now a couple times in the playoffs. You know, um, Kansas City, you know, took advantage of it this time, but actually a couple years ago, they got sent home because the Patriots with Tom Brady won the coin toss, went down and scored right away, and sent sent Kansas City home. So um, I think they it was just like the straw that broke the camel's back. And yeah, I mean, I, 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 I think it makes sense and I'm not, I'm not, uh, I, I don't feel like too strongly about it one way or the other. I think it was, it was the right move. Yeah. I definitely respect, uh, you know, people like coach Tomlin, coach Tomlin is one of the best coaches in football easily. Um, I, I think that I understand where they're coming from, but to me, I just kind of break it down to this. Let's say you're number one seed, right? You got home, you got home field throughout the playoffs. It's a championship game. You're the home team, so the team that you're playing is a visiting team, so they will get to pick the toss. So you went through all that work during the season to be the number one seed, had the best record in your conference, and you could lose a chance to go to the Super Bowl because of a coin flip. You know what I mean? I don't. I don't like that. I don't like that all that hard work of these guys and all the blood, sweat, and tears they went through to be, you know, the higher seed and have that home field. It kind of to me, it almost. You don't get the home field necessarily because a coin flip could could lose you for you. I don't like that. At least give them both a chance, right? So I like that. So, I mean, we'll see. We'll see if we ever eventually get to the college rules where you just kind of just keep trading off back and forth, uh, which would be really interesting to see. I would. I'm not gonna lie. I would mind seeing that. I, I think it would make the game a little safer too, if you're starting at a certain, you know, closer, starting at the 20 yard line or what have you, and you just kind of try to score and they have to equal your score, I think it would be safer, uh, which I think they're going to move to that eventually. They're going to see how this works, which I think it's a good idea. Uh, you don't want to make the games longer because obviously player safety. So maybe they'll eventually move to that down the road. But this is a good first step, and I do agree with it. I like it. Uh, so the next one, the next rule change that we had is an expansion of the Rooney rule. So the Rooney rule is essentially that teams, when they're in the hiring process, they, whether it be you know coaching staff or front office, they have to interview a requisite number of minority candidates or candidates of color, however you want to look at it. So this rule was it was expanded to include women as uh, being a part of that minority group, uh, where they would have to be they could be included. So if you interview a woman for a job, that would be, that would fulfill the requisite the prerequisite of having a minority candidate interviewed, and then they also. 
expanded it to where you have to have a mandatory minority candidate, so you know, candidate of color or a woman, what have you, on your offensive staff in some regard. So I'll just I'll say one thing, homie. We can kind of go back and forth because I think we're both kind of on the same page with this. But the first thing that comes to my mind is that I'll just this is the elephant in the room. I'm just gonna say it. I like this rule, I do, but my two biggest problems with it, one's a simple problem. One problem is that it can create tokenism in my mind. It's like, oh, we have to have, you know, a person of color or a woman. Well, okay, we'll take this person. And I'm not saying they're not qualified, but it can create tokenism, which is the one. And also it can skew things because the logic is that, you know, offensive coaches and things like that have been the trend lately. They're the ones who are getting a lot of these jobs, not defense. So we want to make sure that's more a fair playing field, you could say. But it could skew things towards the defense now where you can just, okay, we're going to have, you know, more non, you know, minorities on the defensive side now. Because, I mean, it's, it's up to the owners ultimately, right? The NFL can only do so much. They can't tell the owners how to run their team per se, right? They can't make the hires. They can only suggest hiring practices. So it could skew things towards the defensive end in, in a negative way, if you feel me what I'm saying about that. And the other elephant in the room for me is the NFL is really big on equality, or at least they say on equality, racial equity, you know, representation of minorities, including, um, you know, women as well as officials, things like that. They have the end racism slogans, but I also think it's very, very hypocritical that we're still going into another season where we have end zones that say end racism, but we still have a team in Kansas City that is cultural misappropriation and it's offensive to indigenous peoples with their logo, the name of their stadium, people beating a war drum, what have you. I'm not cool with it. And that's the reason why for the listeners, I have no apologies about this. If you're a fan of Kansas City, it's not a personal shot at you, but I cannot ever, ever, ever support a team that that is offensive to indigenous people with which I identify as. I just can't do it. If it would be of any if it will be offensive to any group of people group. I'm just not a fan of people groups as uh, mascots for teams. I'm just not. It's just not cool with me. But this one even hits even closer to home because of me being indigenous. So it's it just reeks of hypocrisy for me. It's almost laughable. I'm happy about the rule I am. I think it's a good step. But you know what I mean? Don't like, like I always say, homie, what I live my life by, I try to. Don't talk about it. Be about it. Don't do one thing and then keep this the other way and say, oh, yeah, we're all about ending racism and, you know, representation in the workforce. But we're going to have, you know, this team and this representation of indigenous people. I don't like it. So that's just that's just my um, my sticking point with this. And that's why I'm not really a big fan of even really discussing Kansas City just because it's a very negative, it's very negative to me, it's very offensive to me. And other indigenous people might not see it that way. And I completely respect that a thousand percent. I always will. I don't speak for all native people. I can only speak for myself and those who I've spoken to who are also against it. But me personally, I just can't vibe with it and I won't support it. So that's just my thoughts, homie. But what are your thoughts, you know, just in general? Doesn't have to be about what I talked about, but what were your thoughts initially about this, uh, the expansion of the Rooney Rule? Yeah, to me, it was kind of like, (sighs) 
here, here's how I'll put it. And, and I feel like I really can only explain it is that the idea of this is that offensive coordinators, offensive players, you know, coordinator positions are the, the easiest pathway to becoming a head coach, right? Like that's that thinking you go from coordinator to head coach. There are some instances when that's not the case. I don't think Sean McVay, well, McVay was like a coordinator maybe for one year, but you know, he was a quarterback's coach or like people from his staff who weren't even coordinators have gotten hired, things like that. Um, so my biggest thing is it's great. Yeah. Like you want to have more coordinators on your, on, or more, more, you know, diversity in your offensive staff. My thing is, is like, we had a bunch of very qualified uh, offensive coordinators of color who didn't get hired. <laughs> so like, you know, this is like, I guess making more opportunities, but like two guys who coached two of the best offenses in the league, our offensive coordinators who are, are black men in Vietnam for, for Kansas city. And I know he doesn't have play calling duties. So, but still he, I mean, that has never stopped, you know, owners from hiring other offensive coordinators who never had play calling duties, right. Who are white. Um, so him and then like, and, and by, you know, Byron Leftwich, like those, those are the kind of two big ones to me who stand out. There are others as well, but I think this helps. It's a step in the right direction, right? Like they're actually doing something to force these teams to be more inclusive, but I still think it doesn't address the, 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 the I don't know, prejudice that seems to happen in that coordinator to head coaching leap where, you know, Kevin O'Connell, some guy I've never heard of gets a head coaching job in Minnesota as an offensive guy, but you know, left, which left, which doesn't or, or something like that. Um, so I still think like, it doesn't really, it doesn't really necessarily address what I see as one of the bigger issues, but I mean, it, it is a point like getting one more kind of minority coach on a team. However, that has to be done. I'm going to support it. Um, so I think like, I'm kind of nitpicking here and I definitely understand like, feel you and hear you on the hypocrisy standpoint from the NFL. I mean, like it, it's all hypocrisy at a certain point. Um, you have a bunch of white owners um, who are making money off a bunch of, you know, largely, you know, men of color. Um, so like the whole thing's kind of, you know, bent off, you know, and, and, and unethical almost to start. So um, yeah, I, I, I feel you, but I mean, it's something. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to, the reason I'm not going to like criticize them is because like, if you're criticizing them for not making a big enough step, like so maybe they won't take a step at all, you know, the next time around. And so um, do I wish, you know, it did a little more. Yes. Do I think it's still hypocritical? Yes. But if it's going to help like, you know, some bright young, you know, woman coach or, you know, a Latino coach or a Samoan, you know, woman or something, get a job. I'm all for that. That that's cool. Um, so yeah, that's, you know, kind of a, a, a you know, a cop out on my end, but uh, yeah, that's kind of how I feel about it. No, I feel you, homie. It's not a cop out. Uh, I agree with you. I, I support the rule. I do. Mm-hmm. I would, I think it would just made sense to make it where it's mandatory on offense and defense. Cause like I said, you're going to skew yeah. it now. 
because I mean it's it's gonna it's flawed. Like I can see in a couple years, if not next year, maybe they'll say, okay, well, now you got to have a minority on defense too, which they should just did that in the first place. Just makes sense. Like why only offense? I get it. Historically, coordinators and coaches of color, they've been they've been pushed to the defensive side. Like I even know I've heard this story from several. I've seen it on interviews and things like that. Uh, Coach Tomlin in Pittsburgh, Mike Tomlin was, I want to say he was a wide receiver in college. And he was told by one of his mentors, who was also uh, an African-American man, told him, look, you're going to have a much easier path in the NFL moving up the coaching rankings if you move to defense, because on offense, you're not going to get it. So, I mean, that's really antiquated thinking. It's sad that he had to do that. Mm-hmm. But um, it's, it's, it's real. It is real, man. But I would have liked to see him do it on both ends. And the hypocrisy thing, I mean, I have to call it out. I just call it like I see it. But, I mean, I do support the rule. I'm not, I'm not criticizing the rule at all. I just think it could – there are some inherent problems with it, but it is a good first step. I would just like to see the NFL have some sort of courage of their convictions, you could say, and just address the elephant in the room of the Kansas City football team. Because if we can all see it, and me and you can see it, a lot of other people that we know can see it, it's very obvious – and they don't want to touch it. You know what I mean? And I think ultimately what this boils down to, to me, is that they can't make the hires, right? The owners are still going to hire who they want to hire. And I think the only way that we can start even more change is when these teams are up for sale to get more minority ownership, right? That's what's going to really move the needle here. So we have Denver, the Broncos are going to be sold. And there are a couple of groups I've heard that are vying for that, that have minority representation. I want to say there's a gentleman who um, he's a TV mogul, I want to say. I don't know the gentleman's name, but he's African-American and he's very interested in buying Denver. And he has obviously the funds to do it, which is great. So that would be a nice step forward if somebody of that, maybe they just get some more representation. You know what I mean? You don't want to all have the same thing. It's kind of like to make it, to boil it down to something really simplistic and not to minimize it, but just to give it a very, very simple explanation for maybe those people who just don't really see what's the big deal it's kind of like why would you want to eat the same thing every single day you know what i mean it's like oh i'm going to eat you know a burger every single day all day every day it's like you just variety like there's better it's life is better when you have variety and options you know what i mean so to make it not to minimize the issue but to make it very, very simplistic, to use an analogy like that, it just makes sense to me. Like variety always makes things better. When you have choices and you have options, it's better. And that's pretty much all it comes down to to me. So um, that's it for, for our kicking it segment. And then we're going to get into our famous 16s, uh, which there are quite a few for the NFL. We will start with the NFL. So the biggest one is uh, Joe Montana was number 16. Uh, he was the goat to me. He's a to me. He's at least top three quarterback of all time, if not number two. And uh, he was he was generally considered. And he still is by many, which I completely respect that a thousand percent as the best quarterback of all time, Joe Montana. So he's the most famous sixteen. We also have a lot of uh, we have Bronco Nagurski, Frank Gifford, Len Dawson, George Blanda, George Blanda, uh, Kenny Stabler, the Snake. Rich Gannon, so we got a couple Raiders, Raiders on there, uh, and the most, uh, the only one I could really find who's a very, who's a, who's a really a star, and I might have missed somebody, but I did try my hardest. 
is Tyler Lockett is a really good player. He's in the, he's number 16. And when I was looking this up and, you know, checking things and checking sources, he was, you know, pretty unanimously uh, voted as the best number 16 in football right now. And I agree with that. He's a very good receiver. So Tyler Lockett is a contemporary example. Uh, Jim Plunkett is another one. You can just keep going on and on. There's a lot of guys, but Tyler Lockett is a contemporary option. And then for the NBA, uh, not as many uh, great players or superstars, I guess you could say. The ones that came up for me that I was able to, to find were uh, Al Adels, um, Paul Gasol, and Peja Stojakovic, which is the one that immediately came to my mind. I even uh, I even sent you uh, a freestyle where somebody's talking about a 16 is in a bar, 16 bars in a rap verse. And they said, I rock, I'm still known to rock a 16 like Stojakovic. Because when I think of 16, I think of Peja Stojakovic, really solid player. But yeah, so Paul Gasol, Al Adels, and Peja Stojakovic were the uh, the three that uh, came to my mind in terms of notable players wearing 16 in the NBA. So any thoughts on those players, homie? Number, famous number 16s? No, a, a lot more a lot more quarterbacks. I, it seems to me that it was way more of a popular number. It seems like in like the seventies and eighties for the QB. Yeah. Way like back with, when there's a lot of older players that had it. Yeah. yeah. Um, Montana is obviously the big one that stands out. Montana and, and, and Bill Walsh were like the duo before Brady and, and Belichick. So um, yeah, Joe Montana, I think is probably the second best quarterback of all time. He was, he was unbelievable. Um, and, you know, like similar to Brady, not like a number one pick or anything or the, the, the highest touted guy coming out, but just a really cerebral player. Um, and, yeah, like Pau Gasol is as, um, you know, he's the one who I who I would think of. Um, I'm higher on Pau Gasol than a lot of people. I think he's like, you know, I think he's a Hall of Famer, honestly, um, both for like his stuff in Memphis. Uh, everyone always like focuses on his career with with Kobe in LA but what I think about is is Memphis. him on I think Memphis, Memphis too and yeah. and Spain the national team right like he he had a, an amazing run with the the Spanish national team but um yeah he's he's another one who um yeah I I you know he really stands to mind I like I loved Pedro Stojakovic as well um sweet shooting big guy um, hard not to like that, you know, you know who my favorite players are. So, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, some good 16s. Um, yeah, maybe we'll get some, some future new 16 quarterbacks. It is cool that Tyler Lockett is like a receiver with the 16 number. He's a nice player. I, I like him as well. So, um, yeah, some good guys there. Yeah. Uh, Peja really fun to watch with those, uh, those Kings teams in the early two thousands that we, both of so we talked about a couple of times in the show, I believe. Fun to watch with a great starting five. It's one of the few starting fives I can name off the top of my head. Always is always stuck with me. It's kind of a shame they never did get a chance to go to the finals. But uh, yeah, great player. I think he kind of he did definitely is uh he did kind of pave the way for the kind of we're seeing the the bigger players, the taller players, the stretch, you know, the stretch threes and fours being mm-hmm. able to shoot the three. I always remember he was oh, he kind of lived in the three point contest. Yeah, um, you know what I mean. He was he was generally considered one of, if not the best, uh, three point shooter when he was playing. So it was really fun to see him on there. He was a fun player to watch. Yeah, and he, he kind of sure. set the, he, he set the the table for a lot of these other guys to come. Um, so yeah, so those are our famous sixteens. 
And now we're gonna we're gonna talk some hoops. So I'm gonna kick it over to the hoops guru for that. Yeah. So um, you know, we can we we decided today, like we could have talked about, you know all pro or all defense or whatever, but we're going to do that next week. We could talk about like some playoff stuff, but we're going to do that because um, we've got a great segment today that, that Matt came up with. Um, and that's going to be our top fours from the final four teams. So um, faux, the true faux, 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 faux. Um, we are taking the four teams who will be represented in the college um final four um the the ncaa tournament final four this weekend and we're going to each give our four favorite players from each of these teams so just some context for listeners um these are the four teams in the final four in this year's tournament are what would commonly be called blue blood programs meaning they have a, a really long sustained tradition of success in basketball um, and so the, the teams this year are Villanova, who's probably like the newest of these blue blood programs, but who has been consistently good for, you know, two decades now. They have three national championships as an institution. Um, University of North Carolina, which is one of, you know, the, you know, college basketball's powerhouses going back decades. Um, the uh, Duke University, which is more of a, a recent not, it doesn't seem recent because uh, Coach K has been around since the 90s, but before Coach K, Duke Duke didn't really have a strong basketball program. He, he built that program. So you've got Duke, and then you have Kansas, which is very much a traditional powerhouse. They've been good since, you know, the 50s. Um, that's actually where Naismith, the inventor of basketball, actually taught at Kansas for a little while. So they're one of the OG blue bloods for sure. Um, but yeah, like, like most good programs do, these schools have produced a lot of NBA talent. Um, and, and, you know, there's even like certain kind of like stereotypes might not be the best word, but I'll use it like stereotypes about players from Duke or from Villanova. Like you always hear like Villanova guys have great fundamentals, things like that. So yeah, kind of just wanted to go through and talk about our top four players. And just for some clarification, these are going to be our favorite players. As usual, this is the Homies podcast. We're, we're, we, we understand where we're objective and where we're subjective. So, so here we're going to go with our favorites. So um, no, I'm not going to pick the best player to ever play for Duke as my, fav- as my number one Duke player. It's going to be someone else, but um, they were my favorite. So that's how we're going to do it. Um, so, yeah, why don't we kick things off with the newest of the Blue Bloods with Villanova. Um, and, yeah, I'd say we can each just give our four, you know, four at a time instead of instead of alternating and then just compare them that way. Um, since I do think we will have a lot of overlap, I, I, so I think we can we can do that. Um, so yeah, I'll kick things off. I'll go with my four from Villanova. The one thing I want to say about Villanova is this one is interesting. Like I said, they're more of a recent addition to this kind of um, you know blue blood status. And so all the all my four favorite players from Villanova are all still in the league. Actually, um, they all still play today. So. My four are at number one. I've got Mikhail Bridges for the Phoenix Suns. I've got Josh Hart, who now plays for the Portland Trailblazers. 
Jalen Brunson from the Dallas Mavericks. And then last but not least, I've got um, Kyle Lowry. Um, and as an honorable mention, I have Paul Arizon, who's like kind of like an NBA classic player, you know, big player in the 50s. I obviously didn't watch much basketball in the 50s. I was not yet uh, even a thought, <laughs> you know, like I didn't exist. So I didn't watch Paul Arizon. There wasn't a lot of film footage from those days, so I haven't seen a bunch of him. But yeah, so these four guys, Mikhail Bridges, Josh Hart, um, Jalen Brun- uh, Brunson, and then um, Kyle Lowry, all perimeter players, all guys who, you know, Bridges maybe not, but basically guards. Um, those are, those are my four. Um, and yeah, before I talk too much about them, I, I want to just hear your picks on me. Yeah. So before I give my picks, a great list, by the way, homie, we'll talk about it, but I just want to give, show some love to the, uh, the women's final four as well. The teams that made it. So yeah. just want to show, shout them out, give them respect to South Carolina, Yukon, Louisville, and, uh, <laughs> Yeah, you South Carolina, UConn, Louisville, and Stanford, who's Stanford is the reigning national champion. So just want to give respect to them as well and show love for sure um, for making the final four. And of course, you're a Connecticut guy, so I'm showing go Huskies for oh, you. Oh yeah. And go Huskies. Course. Um I'd like to see South Carolina win it, if not UConn. Uh just because South Carolina's mm-hmm. gotten so close and I really like their coach. Yeah. Um, I'd love to see them win. They just they're just always so close. So I'd like to see them get it this year. We'll see. Uh, I actually all the teams in the women's final four. I'm, I'm gonna be happy with whoever wins. It's great. Um, really fun game too for UConn to beat NC State. If anybody saw that, but that's you know this is a pro podcast. But we're just gonna give some love to the to uh, the women college basketball players as well. So uh, I'm gonna go uh, honorable mentions and I'm gonna go four through one just for a little bit more suspense. Yeah. I guess you could yeah. say. Yeah. So uh, honorable mentions for me, I have a few um, for Nova. So uh, Jeremiah Robinson Earl, um, Paul Arizon, I also have him. Kerry Kittles, who's a fun player, yeah, was with the Nets, and uh, Tim Thomas, really good, solid role player in the league for a while. So my number four, or foe, is uh, Sadiq Bay. Is my number five. Oh, yeah. He's on. He uh, should have been an honorable mention. I just yeah. I overlooked he's on that. the he's on the Pistons. He just dropped fifty against Orlando not too long yep. ago. He's uh, he's an up and comer. A really solid player. I like him. Yeah. Uh, number three, which I'm stunned was not on your list or honorable mention, my guy. Uh, our guy. You're saying, yeah. <laughs> our guy, Mr. Uh, I think his one of his nicknames is, is yeah, one of his nicknames is the big ragu, as in the sauce. Or we like to call him <laughs> we like to call him uh red sauce, Mr. Red Sauce. Uh don't they Vincenzo, man? Uh-huh. I gotta have him on the list. So don't they Vincenzo? Is our number three, Mr. Mr. Red Sauce. We like when he read he wears those red sauce sneakers. Uh big fan of him. He's on uh the Kings now, got traded for Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. Number two, I have uh, Mr. Raptor, Kyle Lowry. He's on Miami now, but he's just you know really great professional, hard-nosed player. And number one, we have the same number one. I also have nice. Mikhail Bridges. Uh I knew he would be high on your list. Really great defender. You are a huge mm-hmm. uh, fan, proponent of defense. Um, he's just a great player. I think it's he's easily we'll talk about it, but he's definitely, I think, in the conversation at the very least for defensive player of the year this year. So uh really good player, really fun to watch. Uh Phoenix has so many, it's just so loaded. But Mikhail yeah. Bridges is my number one. Yeah, great, great pick. Yeah. 
I'll, I'll get I'll get to a couple of those points. But yeah, just while we're on Mikael Bridges, um, yeah, he's a guy. You know what's crazy too is he went to Villanova, got drafted by the Sixers, while his mom worked for the Sixers, and they traded him to Phoenix for like nothing. Um, so just uh, imagine this. Imagine if he was on the Sixers with like Matisse Thibault, right? I mean, anyway, missed opportunity for, for them. But yeah, he's just a player who's gotten better every year. He's definitely like going to make an all defense team for me, for sure. Um, you know, and that's not, that's nothing to sneeze at as a, as a wing defender. Like a lot of times it's mostly centers or big men. He just, he just guards everyone. He guards point guards. He guards, he'll guard, you know, cr- he would guard, you know, LeBron James and then Fred Van Vliet the next night. You know, it's it's really he's everywhere. Um, and his offensive game is growing. He's got a pretty crafty, almost like what you might call like an old man game, like just really like good footwork, really smooth. Um, you know, he's not necessarily the most explosive. He's very long, but um, just just a really high IQ player. And I think he's he's a good number one for Villanova because he's like everything that Villanova players are. He's like smart. He's a team player. He does. He's well-rounded, right? You never see guys come out of Villanova and they're just scorers, right? Or they're just shot blockers. They always do a little bit of everything, which is why I respect Jay Wright so much is he, he coaches well-rounded players. So um, yeah, I, I think it's cool. We, we both picked him. Lowry, right? Like he was great at, at Nova. It took a little while to to take off in the league, but um, obviously very very worthy spot on on anyone's list. Um, uh, Divincenzo, I there are a lot. I, I like all Villanova players. I can't lie. Like like you said, like I love defense. They all play good defense. I pretty much like everyone who came out of there. I had him on my list. I like Villanova. You said like there were certain teams that were harder for you. Villanova was hard for me because like, I was like, I like all these guys. <laughs> who am I going to, you know, leave out? Um, you know, I would have liked Dante DiVincenzo. I liked Ryan Archie Diacono. He hasn't done anything in the pros, but he was a great college player. Um, you know, even, you know, even got, yeah. Going back to guys like Kerry Kittle, um, so yeah, Randy, I would, Randy Foy back in the day. Remember Randy Foy? Randy Foy, yeah, Went that's another one. Yeah. yeah, and then I I do regret leaving Sadiq Bay off my honorable mentions because even before that fifty point game, I was high on him. I thought this he's another Villanova guy. He's gonna be good. Like he's just those guys are going to end up being good. Um, but yeah, so I I, I think I I wanted to have Jalen Brunson on mine specifically because. You know, he's one of these guys who was, you know, son of an NBA coach, was an all it was the wooden player of the year. He was the best player in college basketball and then went like in the second round or undrafted or something. And I just still never get how that happens with Jay Wright's players. They're almost always going to be good. I can never see why they would fall into the second round. Um, but it keeps happening. So, you know, it is what it is. But yeah, that's a that's a good list. Any any final thoughts on Nova for you? No, uh, Nova is just a, a class act program. Jay Wright is a phenomenal coach. I think he has a chance to go into that, especially if they win a national title again this year. They've won three with him. Uh, they've been to the Final Four. I want to say this is their, I could be wrong, fourth time 
since 2016. It could be more than that. They also have the most tournament wins of any program since 2016. Mm-hmm. And um, I think he has a chance to be in that elite coach, college coach conversation, especially now that Coach K is retiring after this year. Mm-hmm. And a really quick tidbit that I forgot to mention, some trivia that we love, we love trivia on the show as well, is this is the first Final Four ever where every team that's in the Final Four has multiple national championships. Interesting. So I want wow. uh, uh, UNC has six, Duke has five, and mm-hmm. Nova and Kansas have three, I want yeah. to say. Could be mm-hmm. wrong on the numbers, but I'm pretty sure that's it. But yeah, that's a really great um, – Think about all the great Final Fours we've had. We've never had four teams with multiple national championships. So you can see, when you talk about, like you said, Blue Blood, this is the Blue Blood one, my guy. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, it's going to be fun to see. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, yeah, I'll, I'll kind of let you kick off this next one. Uh, I, I have to let you kick off this next one um, <laughs> for reasons that will be obvious. But um, I'm going to go with um, – Actually, the lowest seed in the tournament this year in the Final Four uh, won University of North Carolina, the North Carolina Tar Heels. Um, you know, some of the some of the one of the greatest colors, in my opinion, in uh, college sports in terms of, of team colors. But um, yeah, you know, another school with a lot of history, and you're gonna y'all listeners will hear in a second a lot of good players out of this institution. So. Um, it's going to be a shocker to figure out who's number one for you, but, uh, you know, so let's, let's not, let's, let's not leave, let's let, let's not leave me hanging any longer. Who are your, who are your four UNC guys? And, uh, and I might say, um, well, after this one, before we forget, we'll do really quickly who we, how we would rank uh, the mascots in terms of Mm, four through one mascots. We'll do that really fun. Just came to me, but, uh, yeah, I mean, this is a pretty, Pretty obvious one for anybody who knows me or listens to the show. Um, so, so honorable mentions for me, um, my guy, Nasir Little. You know, I'm a huge Nasir Little guy. Mm-hmm. He's out for the year, unfortunately. But uh, he was really coming on. I, I really want to see how he does in Portland. I'm a big fan of his. So Nasir Little. Uh, Anton Jameson was one for me. Yep. James Worthy, big game James. Uh, Bob McAdoo, another legend, are some of the um, – the honorable mentions for me. This was a hard list too. So many good players from UNC. So number four, I have Kenny the Jet Smith. Number four, nice. uh, really fun. I like watching him on uh, Inside the NBA or on TNT, whatever it's called. I forget me. With uh, Charles Barkley, Ernie Johnson. So Kenny the Jet, he's really fun. He's a New Yorker, so I know you can respect that as well. He's a fun guy. Sure. I like I like Kenny the Jet. A lot of fun when he when he. Um, you know, either when he either is the judge or he commentates on the slam dunk contest is great. So big fan of him. Number three, I have uh, Rashid Garansheed Wallace. Really fun player to watch. I feel like Rashid Garansheed because he would always guarantee that they were going to win a game. He did that uh, when that when the Pistons won the title in 04 and it kind of made history there. Um, I think he's really slept on in terms of how good this guy was as a scorer. And he's 6'10. So he's playing the four. And this guy was just a really good scorer. I mean, he had a nice shot. He wasn't exactly uh lethal from three. He could hit it, but he had really good mid mid-range, good, good footwork in the paint, good rebounder, really solid player. So I think I think Rashid Wallace has really slept on in terms of 
how he kind of revolutionized. He was like a 20 and 10 guy when that wasn't as common as it is now, I feel like. I feel like he really kind of set the tone for these guys, who these bigger guys who can shoot the ball. You know what I mean? So I really like him. He's really slept on as a scorer. So Rashid Wallace, good intensity guy. I'm a big fan of his. Number two, uh, the one and two were very easy for me. Um, this is the other ones. Number two, I have uh, half man, half amazing, uh, Air Canada, Vinsanity, Vince Carter is number two for me. Huge fan of Vince Carter. I have been critical of him in the last couple of shows, ironically, but a uh, huge fan of him. A lot of fun to watch. I think you had said he's your, he's if not your number one, he's maybe your number two greatest dunker of all time. Really entertaining. Vince Carter's great. And he could have been even better than he is, but I'm still a huge fan of him. I like him. A solid broadcaster, not my favorite, even though I liked him more as a player than as a broadcaster, but he is solid. I do. Uh, I don't mind listening to him. He does a good job. And then number one, uh, very easy. Uh, his airness, Michael Jeffrey Jordan, is number one for me. It's not even a contest. He's my favorite player of all time in the NBA. So obviously he'd be my number one. So uh, Air Jordan is my number one. How about you, homie? Who do you got for your top foe UNC players? Yeah, for sure. Um, a lot of, lot of overlap. Actually, well, some overlap. Um, my, my list might be surprising in a couple ways. Um, so first, my honorable mentions. Uh, Vince Carter did not make my top four. Uh, he's an honorable wow. mention for me. The reason being uh, the way he kind of left uh, Toronto and then, um, yeah, just just never really being able to get over the hump like and, and, and be that guy. Um, I had big expectations for him, definitely. I thought like, you know, a lot of people thought he was maybe in the next Michael Jordan or something like that. Um, and but it's more just because there are a lot of guys from UNC I like. Um, you know, I, I don't dislike Vince at all. Um, and I yeah, agree with everything you say. Um, but he's just not he's never he was never one of my like favorite. Like I always like T Mac more than him. I like Tracy McGrady more than Vince. Yeah, I was always I was way more of a Carter guy than a McGrady guy. So that's yeah, funny. I guess it goes to that another one. Divide, we, can add that, yeah. we can add that to our list again of another thing where you like one and I like one. Like yeah. I'm a curry or Thompson guy more. So yep. we'll add that to the list. We finally found another one. We were thinking of one. So you're McGrady. I'm a Carter guy. Yeah. But I feel you a thousand percent on me. I'm exactly the same. I don't disagree. But yeah, go ahead, man. Try to get that in there that we have another uh, this or that situation with us, which is funny. Yeah. And I, I, in my honorable mentions, I had a couple Hall of Famers who, like, I'm not, like, particular fans of, but I understand they're great. Bob McAdoo, James Worthy. I did like James Worthy's uh, goggles. He wore the goggles. Um <laughs> Which I thought was really cool. But my number four, this is a surprising one. And a lot of people will think this is really random. But again, this, these are not the best. These are my favorites. Um, my number four is Raymond Felton. Um, so point guard for North Carolina. He he was great in college. He was a really good point guard. Um, had some really good years there on UNC. And then actually, like, the reason I like him is he he's played with some of my favorite teams. So, like, he was actually on the Knicks for a while. He was actually really good in his first stint with the Knicks. Uh, I actually remember liking him being like, this guy's pretty good. We're building towards something. And then they, like, traded it all for Carmelo Anthony and traded him with it. And it was like, oh, there he goes. Um, but then he played for the Nuggets, who I'm now a fan of, and was pretty good there as well. Um, so, you know, solid career as a pro. He was never 
the most athletic guy. He was short. So, you know, I, I think he, he was never going to be like a, a fantastic point guard, but um, you know, I liked him nonetheless. He was, a, he was a, he was one. I, he was a guy I just always was rooted for. Um, another guy, and this one is another more personal one is Cole Anthony on, on the Orlando magic right now, New York kid, um, son of Greg Anthony, who, you know, was a Knicks player for a long time. Um, I like his swagger. I like his game, even though he's a small guard and doesn't play very good defense. I still like <laughs> what he brings to the court. Um, he's, he's, uh, you know, just one of those guys that doesn't seem to have any fear. Um, and that's what, you know, New Yorkers really like in their basketball players. You know, we love a little point guard who's not afraid to take it to the rack. So, um, that's, 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 that one was good. My number two, you might be surprised by this one just because he's number two and not number one. I've got MJ number two, and here's the reason. I got to bump him down. He would hit the winning shot against my Georgetown Hoyas in the 19, 1982 um, NCAA championships to, to, beat, to beat them. That's where, you know, kind of the legend started with him um, because he, you know, cost my Georgetown Hoyas a championship. I bumped him down uh, one, even though he's, you know, I think he's the best player of all time and the most easily the most influential player of all time. Um, no doubt about that. I don't think I really need to say much about Jordan that hasn't been said. He's, he's the GOAT. Um, but my number one uh, is someone you mentioned on your list. I've got Rashid Wallace, number one. I freaking loved that guy. He was so cool. He, he, you know, he was, I think he set the record for the most technicals or something. Maybe most, yeah, most technicals in one season. He was like a very, um, you know, definitely not like a lot of people didn't like him. Like he was kind of seen as a thug. He was on those trailblazers teams that were like called the, the jailblazers. Um, but yeah, he just had such a good offensive game, you know, really great mid range. He was a good post player, good rebounder. Um, you know, he was the missing piece on that Detroit team. They went from like a really hard nosed competitive team to like over the top beating the, the Lakers when, when he showed up, um, on, on that squad. Um, so yeah, Rashid Wallace, um, he was just always a guy. I kind of like, just liked his swagger. I liked his attitude. I liked that. He was like, I don't know. He just, he just seemed like a real, a real one, you know? Um, so yeah, he, Rashid took my number one. So, um, yeah. What are your thoughts about, about those selections, homie? Come on, homie. I had, I had big Pat as my number one favorite Patrick and you can't, you can't, uh, <laughs> you can't put his airness as number one in North Carolina. Come on, man. All right. Nah, all right. Nah. I'll, I'll, nah, it's all off, man. It's all, I'm just messing with you. You can do it. I'll you give do. you I'll give you MJ number one. Rashid's number two. I nah, switched nah, up. Bro, I switched them in my nuts. <laughs> <laughs> it's your it's your list, homie. No, no shade. I'm just messing with you. Um I know you love MJ. I know you do. So um and you don't have to, if even if you don't, it's all good. Um so he's my favorite player of all time. So obviously he'd be number one of course. for me. And I'm from Chicago, so it makes sense. It's like uh, Big Pat is your favorite. You're a New York guy. It makes sense, right? Mm -hmm. And he beat the Knicks a lot of times, so I'm not gonna. It's kind of hard. I feel you. I feel you. I really do. So mm -hmm. yeah. So all the MJ love aside, he's amazing. We know that. Uh, I can't be mad at you, man, for having Rashid number one. I love Garen Rashid. Mm -hmm. He was so much fun to watch. Even like the way his hair looked. If you remember how his hair was, in like the back of his head, he had like that. Um, I don't know what it was. 
It's like his hair was a different color or something in the back of his head. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. wasn't it? It was yeah. It was like a lighter color or something. Yeah, it was like a lighter color, but it was like it was like one of his trademarks, and he had like the hair. He wore the headband, and he yep. wore the, and I like the old style headbands that they had when he was wearing them, and even before that, I don't really like the new ones that they wear so much anymore. I like those older ones, even when uh, uh, you know, the basketball baron was wearing the headband, the old ones. I like those, so those are more iconic yeah. to me. And he's he's always rock one, and uh, those that uh, Pistons team uh, was a lot of fun to watch, and they were really good. So he was—he definitely was a missing piece, and we've talked about this before. I think, uh, for me, it could sound crazy. I think Rashid Wallace is a Hall of Famer. To me, he is. Uh, I think he's a really good player. So um, I can't—I can't hate on you. He's a lot of fun. So much love to Rashid, and of course, much love to uh, MJ. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. Well, so that—that's—that's that's our UNC. UNC has produced a lot of really good yeah, players. Yeah, a lot of really good players. Um, Raymond know, Felton think, was a fun one, though, homie. Yeah, uh, yeah. I you saw like him. Was like, oh, yeah, he was on Charlotte too, wasn't he? I remember. Um. Yeah, he probably was. I, I think, think he, he might have drafted by Charlotte. I think. So I remember him, but yeah, he was a fun. He was really good in college. Really good. Yeah. So, um, yeah, fun, great list, my guy. Yeah, and I think I think I think UNC. If I remember correctly, I don't have it. I don't have a basketball reference up, but I think they had the most Hall of Famers of these four teams. Uh, NBA, mm-hmm. yeah, basketball, it's shared uh, e- easily. I think they easily yeah. do. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that's a good one. So moving over ten miles away, um, to UNC's biggest rival, um, Duke University. Um, you know the the Duke Blue Devils, um. The most probably the most polarizing college basketball team, right? You know, people either hate Duke or they love Duke. That's kind of the two. No <laughs> one's like, yeah, I, Duke's fine. It's like, no, I don't like Duke or I like Duke. I think me and you are in the don't like crowd. Um, I don't. I definitely don't like Duke. Um, even though I have a lot of respect for Coach K, um, I, I don't love them. Um, that being said, like I was surprised. I was like. Damn, I kind of like a lot of players from Duke. Like for yeah. someone who doesn't like Duke, I uh, like them when they leave Duke. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm surprisingly, like you said, I'm kind of in the middle, where I don't love Duke, but I don't hate Duke either. I'm kind of, they're okay, they're cool. Coach K is a great coach. Okay, I'm, they're, they're cool with me. I have no, no shade for Duke. Uh, I'm more of a UNC guy, a little yeah. bit, a little bit more. I like UNC more. Obviously, I think it's just the MJ thing, really. <laughs> but um. Uh, you know, they're cool with me. I don't really uh, – none of the teams that are in here where I'm like, oh, man, I love them or I hate them. Sure. All, I, I like I, I like all of them to an extent, So which is fun. So whoever wins, I'll be happy with it. But, uh, yeah, I agree with you. Duke is very, uh, very, very polarizing team. You either hate them yeah. most of the time except for, you know, you know, a weirdo like me. You either hate them or you love them. <laughs> so. Yeah. Um, well, I'll kick, I'll kick things off with Duke. Um, I've got a couple honorable mentions, um, just cause again, I, 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 I was surprised about how many people from Duke I actually liked, um, honorable mention one Zion Williamson. Um, he would have been on my top four last year, but I don't know. I'm starting to get like a little skeptical of this dude. I haven't seen him play in a year. Like you don't hear anything from him. He was supposed to start at the beginning of the season and now is apparently just missed a whole season. 
Um, so I don't know. I got to hear more from him, see more of him before he can get into my top four. I did really like him as a player, but um, I don't know. It seems like this year, you know, he's kind of been a distraction a little bit. I- I'm not saying that's necessarily his fault, but um, he he hasn't really earned a top four spot for me yet. Um, another honorable mention, Austin Rivers. Um, you know, son of spray can Glenn, as you call him, uh, Glenn Rivers. Um, you know, the, the, um, he, he's, he was, uh, he's a good player for my nuggets. He's played on a bunch of different teams. I kind of just like his audacity. I've always kind of liked, you know, he seems like a smart person, a good guy. Um, so I like that. He talks a lot of smack on the court, which I think is, is, is fun. Um, and then Lou Dang, he was, you know, he was on those great Chicago teams with Derek Rose and, um, with Joakim Noah, and he was just a consummate professional and really good, you know, not spectacular, but very good, um, you know, wing player played small forward, um, you know, hit, hit his shots, could score off the bounce a little bit, played good defense, all of that. So those are my honorable mentions. Counting down, my number four is a guy we have already mentioned, Grant Hill. Um, probably, in my opinion, the greatest Duke player of all time. If not, not considering any pro career, just how good were they when they were on Duke? I think it's probably Grant Hill for me. Um, he he was so good in college, um, and and was really good as a pro too. You know, injuries kind of shortened his career a little bit, but. Um, he's good, good commentator. I think Uh, we were just talking about him, like not anything amazing. He's not like amazing or spectacular, but he's a good solid, um, TV announcer. Um, my number three is your guy, mutton chop, Seth Curry. Um, you know, great player, great shooter. Um, you know, went to Duke, which I don't love, but, um, you know, hard to argue with the results. He's, he's, he's really good. My number two. Another guy, a, a defensive guy, as you're, you probably are not surprised, Shane Battier. Always loved his game. Loved his, him as a defender and as a role player. Um, you know, he was all, he was always really fun to watch. He was a really high IQ player. I just, you know, a lot of these Duke guys are, um, but but him in, in, in a special way. And then my number one, I'm, I'm going with my guy, RJ Barrett. Um, I got to go with my Knicks loyalty here. He is not a perfect player by any stretch of the imagination. Not perfect, not a particularly efficient player, not a great shooter. Um, but I just really like this kid's uh, maturity. I like his professionalism. At 21, he, he's been really steady for the Knicks. You know, he, he defends, he tries hard, he doesn't complain, he doesn't whine like some other people on the Knicks, doesn't, doesn't, complain to the refs every call. He just goes out there and he works hard and um, he's gotten better every year. And I mean, you know, no, he's not as good as Zion. He's not as good as jaw. You know, would the Knicks rather have one of those two guys? Of course, but um, I'm happy that they got RJ Barrett at number three. And it's, it's good to have a professional in the building. Um, he's still young. He's 21 um, and is already showing some pretty good signs as a, as a good scorer. So I'm going to go with RJ Barrett, number one, um, you know, even though he 
he'll play it on a team with a, a player who's probably more popular and people consider better in Zion. Um, he's, he's going to be my favorite. So yeah, give me your thoughts on me and then, and then let me hear your list. Wow, man. I am. That's a shocking list for me. I never would have guessed that. Not even. Wow. That's crazy for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. Interesting. One. Uh, yeah. Wait, I, that's, that's, that's the stunner so far of me of the show. Uh, I will say this, though, for how I said I was kind of in the middle on Duke, like they can go either way for me. I can like him or not like him. Uh, for as many players as I really like from Duke or love, there's a lot of players who I really, really dislike from Duke. And TV Same here. <laughs> TV personalities who I cannot stand. I won't oh, say yeah. hate. I won't say hate because I don't want to put that energy out there, but I strongly dislike and do not know why they're on TV. And you know who I'm talking about? We've talked about one. One of them was our slime ball. The dubious honor of being our slime ball. Uh, but yeah, of all the people who I really love from Duke, there are a lot of players who I cannot stand from there. So I will say that. So maybe I am, like, you're right. Maybe I am towards the not liking Duke guy. Uh, so yeah, I feel you, homie. So I think you're right. I'll go with you on that. I'll say I don't like Duke, I guess. Why not, right? Um, so this, this was the hardest list for me. Um, really, really hard. Uh, so honorable mentions for me, and the honorable mentions are not in any order. Uh, Elton Brand, a uh, solid player, got drafted by the Bulls, uh, played with the Clips. He's uh, now he's a GM in Philly, doing a solid job there with Daryl Morey. I like Elton Brand, really solid player. Uh, he's, I think he was a good pick. I think he had a good career. Uh, Grand Hill for me, he didn't make my list, but uh, like we said. Uh, fantastic player on Duke. He, I agree with you. He probably is the greatest player they've ever had. Uh, they were very successful when he was there. He did throw the pass, that amazing pass across the full length of the court, where Leitner hit that turnaround to win the to win the game and send them to the championship game. Yep. Uh, so that was you know that was Grant Hill that threw that pass. Some people don't know that, which is fun fun trivia. So I like him as well and solid announcer. Like we said, no no. Not flashy, but really solid. He's the one I don't mind listening to. He's good. Um, and uh, <laughs> Tiny Dog, a Humble Beast. Yeah. Ingram. Brandon Ingram is also honorable mention to me. Uh, I like him. Yeah, I like him as well. And I think he's really, he's really, really shown what he can do in New Orleans. I think he's, he's got a bright future there. Uh, Cam Reddish. So he's now, he was in the Hawks. Now he's one of your, your Knicks. I really, I've been high on him. I've told you that since last year. I'm high on Cam Reddish, so I think if the Knicks can learn how to use him, he'll be really good. And I really, another one, um, not many people might know, uh, Chris Duhan. Yeah, <laughs> uh, he's a second round pick um, in the by the Bulls, so I saw him play a lot uh, growing up, watching him play. Really solid player, good bench player, solid backup point, and he went in the same draft as a guy who is my number four. So my number four is, uh, as my guy, our guy Stacy would say, Luol Dangerous. <laughs> nice. Luol, I love, we love Stacy. So uh, Luol Dang is my number four. I grew up watching him. He was on those Bulls teams uh, after they were terrible, after the Jordan era. Then when they got uh, Rose and my guy Joakim Noah, they were really good. They were constantly, you know, in the playoffs, fighting for go to a title. Never happened. But Luol Deng was a really big part of that. Consummate professional, great defender, just a really solid player all year round. I want to say he played 10 yep. years for the Bulls. 
So really big fan of him. I really like Luol Deng. So he's my number four. Number three for me, oh, man, one through three was so hard. I had to, like, <laughs> I actually went and, like, watched interviews with these guys because I'm like, how do I how do I rank these guys? Because I, I like them all. I, I love all these guys, the top three. Oh, man. So number three is a guy who we had talked about earlier. Um, well, his one, one of his nicknames is uh, is Bacon, but I also was thinking of some nicknames for him, uh, Two-Way J and uh, the Green Goblin, Jason Tatum, Bacon Tatum. Yeah. Jason Tatum's number three. Uh, really, I was I was never a huge fan of Jason Tatum. I've always like seen he's such a huge talent, fantastic potential, amazing scorer, good defender too. And I'd say he's a, more than a good defender now. Really great two-way yeah. player. It's why I nicknamed him Two-Way J. But uh, he's turned into the Green Goblin this year, man. He's just everything for Boston. They've really surprised me so far. We'll talk about that when we maybe next week or when we get to the playoffs talk. Mm-hmm. But uh, he's been a huge resurgence in that. He's a, he's a to me. He's if he's not already, he will soon be a superstar player. Fantastic. Uh, and he's really grown on me. I really I always liked him, but now I really am a huge fan. I think uh, I like seeing him realize his potential. And me and you are not even Boston guys. So no, I just, yeah. I just I just think he's a supreme talent. I really like Jason Tatum, and he's a really humble dude too. Uh, me and you tend to gravitate for the most part. Uh, we like the guys who are pretty humble, low key, but supremely yep. talented, hard work ethic. He obviously puts the time in, and he's a two way guy, and we love two way players. So two way Jay, the Green Goblin, Bacon Tatum, Jason Association. Whatever you want to call him, Jason Tatum is my number three. Big fan of his. Much love for him. Mm -hmm. Oh, man. Number two. um, Slightly. Barely made my number two. They could have been number one, but their two is uh, Flyzai. Zion Williamson. I really, really love Zion Williamson. Uh, Really fun player to watch. The, the, The potential is just through the roof. Like the ceiling for this guy, like the sky is the limit. He's just so talented. I really, really want to see him be successful and healthy and on the court. And I think that New Orleans can be a really solid team with him and this current lineup they got with CJ and Tiny Dog <laughs> and these guys, you know what I mean? And and Bonus Jonas, you know what I mean? Herb Jones is doing his thing. They got a really solid team, quietly. And yeah, uh, yeah. I think, I think uh, uh, Slick Willie, Willie Fresh, Willie Green, it's doing a really solid job in uh, in New Orleans. So Zion, hopefully he gets on the court. I really like him. He seems like a pretty humble dude. I don't know what's going on with the whole situation, but I wish him the best. And hopefully it all works out, whatever happens. But uh, Fly's Eye is my number two. Uh, number one for me, uh, I don't think it's going to be a surprise for you, given uh, how much you know I love this player. Mm-hmm. It is uh, Seth Mutton Chops Curry. Yep. I love <laughs> Seth Curry. <laughs> um, I, don't, I don't know, man. He's just so dope. He's a. Uh, well, I mean, you know, I love Stevie Showstopper, Stevie Curry. It's my guy. I love him. I love Seth Curry too. I really do. I love the Currys. Del Curry's a cool dude. He does the Hornies. He does the Hornies uh, broadcast with our guy Cardiac Collins. I just love the Curry family. I guess yeah. you can say they're a lot of fun. And Del was on those Hornies teams back in the day with our guy Muggsy and Grandma Ma Johnson and those guys. So uh, I don't know. I just love the Curry family, but Seth Curry, it's my guy. Uh, I was, I'm not gonna lie, I was heartbroken when he got traded from Philly <laughs> to Brooklyn. Yeah, and uh, Philly, I think Philly's starting to miss him now. Let's just keep it real; like, they're they're missing Seth Curry right now. I think they are. Um, but 
thing I love about him is that he doesn't rest on his laurels. His brother is obviously one of the greatest players of all time, the greatest shooter of all time. But, I mean, quietly, Seth Curry went to Liberty. You know what I mean? He wasn't highly recruited. And he went. Then he eventually went to Duke, and he kind of just kind of worked his way, and he got better and better every year. And I feel very confident saying that Seth Curry is, has, in his own right, has become a very good player in the NBA. Really solid shooter, oh, yeah. great scorer, and a really uh, good good effort guy. I really like Seth Curry. So I like how he didn't rest on his laurels or was like, oh, my brother, you know, is a star. I can just do what I want and coast on that. Or my dad was an NBA player. He puts in the work ethic. And he just seems like a really cool dude, really chill, really humble. So, you know, Mutton Chops is my guy. Um, I still miss him. He got traded. But, uh, yeah, it was – it was a. Uh, at the end of the day, when I thought about it, I was like, Seth Curry's got to be my number one. You know how much I like him. I like him. So, Seth Curry, Mutton Chops, my number one. You're my favorite Duke player of all time. Nice. Yeah, Curry's just a he's a, he he's a guy who you know came into the league as like a three point specialist and has really grown into just a, an all around really good guard. Um, you know, he's he he still shoots the hell out of the three. He actually has a higher career three point percentage than than Steph does. Now, I would argue maybe the attempts he, he takes are not as difficult necessarily as 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 sets, but as Steph's. But all that's to say two of the best shooters of all time. So, um, yeah, that's great. Um, Ingram, um, Brandon Ingram, tiny dog <laughs> and Jason Tatum are both guys. I do like, I think they're supremely talented. Um, you know, the, the trend here is we really like the more recent guys from Duke. Yeah, Duke, definitely, definitely. So Duke, you know, let's not beat around the bush here. Duke was known as like a, you know, the school where all the good white players went for a long time. I mean, you know, Grant, even Grant Hill, he was more of like, you know, he, he's a lighter skinned dude. Like he, he didn't really like, you know, he, he, he didn't seem like he was really like a guy from, um, you know, a rough, you know, neighborhood or upbringing or something like that. Very different personality. Um, but like that was kind of all their always their thing, and a lot of people didn't like that. Um, I never liked you know the guys like Leitner or um, you know JJ Redick, Kyle or Singler, Kyle yeah. Singler. Like I just never liked those guys. Yeah, like but, like the clean cut image is like a, yeah, it wasn't like cut. it wasn't like you know uh, Five Slamma Jamma, yeah, or you or know Boy or the Fat Five, or the Fat yeah. Five. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Or UNLV when they had you yeah. know, Augman and. And Greg Anthony and Grandma Johnson and those dudes, you know what I mean? Yeah, I feel yeah. you. I, I feel you on that. I think that's. I think they've kind of gone past that now. Now they're getting the one and done dudes. Yeah. But yeah, I agree with you. The whole like, like you said, like they usually had like the, you know, the white dudes. You know what I mean? They had the really good white players. We don't. We don't have any on our list or honorable mention. <laughs> so. No. Yeah. yeah we didn't. Uh, we didn't like yeah. those guys. But yeah, no. Yeah. That that philosophy did change, and like Coach K definitely started going after more of the one and done talent and. I mean, has produced some really good players the last five to ten years. Really, I mean, the best players. Let let me say the best pro players that he's produced have really come out in the last yeah five to ten years. So, um, yeah, you know, he 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 definitely was able to shift a little bit from you know very much like a team. You know, we're gonna get you know. maybe less athletic guys lower you know not not the biggest recruits stuff like that um to really being able to attract some of these superstar you know 
five-star prospects like like Ingram or, or Tatum. So um, kudos to, to Coach K for that, for sure. Yeah. And I think what's really indicative of that, which we had talked about before we started recording, before we move on to our last school, is uh, Duke only has one player in the Hall of Fame, the Pro Basketball yeah. Hall of Fame, is uh, Grant Hill. Grant Hill, yeah. And I think that kind of speaks to, like, the recruiting practices. Maybe they weren't as open-minded as they should have been in terms of recruiting all types of guys, not just, you know – high academic, clean cuts, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. types of dudes. You know I mean? Maybe they should have been like, hey, we don't mind doing the one-and-done guys because we're going to be really good. Like, you know, just you don't have to always get the guys who are going to stay four years, and you know what I mean? You can just just win. Just get the best players. You know what I mean? And I think Coach K finally realized that, and like he said, uh, they, there's definitely some potential Hall of Famers that have come through on this list, at least Hall of Fame oh. talent, you could say, and ceiling. But yeah, that's just something I thought was like, wow. I, when I looked at it on basketball reference, I was like, yo, like Grant Hill is the only Hall of Famer from Duke. Yeah. Very they produced, they produced so many guys. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. And and yeah, I think it speaks to like didn't really produce a bunch of NBA talent um earlier in his career. But now, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see Tatum in the Hall of Fame or a number of these other guys, whether it's Ingram or Zion or or whoever. So, um, yeah, I think we'll definitely see some more Duke Hall of Famers um, in the future for sure. Um, But that brings us to our last school. Um, Maybe the most kind of the the school with maybe the the longest history of basketball success, um, the University of Kansas. So, um, like I said, a school where – they were good back in the 50s. They've been pretty consistently good since then. Um, now, only three championships. They do kind of have a, a somewhat of a reputation, I feel like, as a team that they always win the Big 12. They always have a good regular season, but they can never really, you know, excel in the big dance um, too much. It's been a while since Kansas has won a national championship. I think it's been since the early 2000s. So, um yeah, but they, they definitely produce a lot of NBA talent. They're um, one of these teams that, um, you know, there's 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 a good amount of guys from Kansas who have gone to the league to varying degrees of success. So um, my two honorable mentions, the first one um, is going to be a guy I just never really got to see, um, Will Chamberlain, you know, one of the all-time great players. I can't say like I'm particularly like a huge fan of his or anything. Um, I think he was supremely talented. He did seem like maybe he was like a little bit of a drama queen at times, um, a little bit of a a guy who can be you know difficult to to be around. But um, there's no denying his talent. He only stayed at Kansas, I think, through and through his junior season, which was unheard of back then. Um, and he actually left to go play for the Harlem Globetrotters. They gave him the biggest basketball contract at that time yet. It was like a million dollars or something. Um, so, yeah, Will is one. The other one, and I only say he's an honorable mention. The only reason he's an honorable mention not on this list is because he actually transferred from Kansas. Uh, Quentin Gribes, another Knicks player, uh, rookie this year who I really like. Um, he transferred to Houston and ended up playing there. Um, and they went to the final four last year when he was there. So those are going to be my two, um, my two big honorable mentions. I'm sure you'll have some other honorable mentions as well. So I'll leave some of those to you. 
Um, but my number four pick here is a surprising one because he played for a team that I don't have particular fondness for. But that's JoJo White, um, you know, the Celtics Celtics player throughout the 70s, won some um, NBA championships with John Havlicek, with Dave Cowens um, in 74 and 76. I'm a big fan of um, of just 70s basketball. I don't know what it is. Um I think maybe that's the last time the Knicks won a championship. That probably has a lot to do with it. But there was just a lot of parody. You saw the Bullets win a championship. You saw the Lakers win their first championship in L.A. You saw the Celtics get a few. The Knicks get a few. Sonics get one. Um, right? There, there's just there was just a lot. Uh, there was just a lot of parody at that time in the league, and I think it was kind of cool. I also think like the guys like acted cool and had cool haircuts and like, you know, they all had mutton chops and sweet beards and stuff. Yeah. So, I want to say Portland won one too. With Bill Portland Walton. did win one yeah, with, with Bill, uh, Bill Walton. Yeah. yeah. So there was just a lot of different teams winning. It wasn't like dominated by dynasties the way that most of the other NBA decades have. Um, so yeah, I'll go. Jo- I'm going with Jojo white there. Um, the other three are more modern players. Uh, Nick Collison, longtime big man for uh, the Oklahoma city thunder um famously was kind of the the one the mediator between you know getting kevin durant and russell westbrook talking again um just like you know did all the dirty work boxed out rebounded barely like scored like three points a game um but he was he was a really good player at kansas um and just a really good player in the league as well and he's just like to me he's the epitome of a kansas player like Big old, like, kind of country-looking white dude who just, like, does all the little things, you know? Doesn't complain, uh, doesn't get all the glory, but, you know, just kind of chips in. He, 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 to me, feels like a very Midwestern player. And maybe that's just me being, a, like, a coastal elite or whatever. But, um, you know, that's, that's kind of what I, what I think of. Um, number two, uh, a guy, um, another Bulls player, uh, who we're going to mention here, Kirk Heinrich. I always loved him as a player. Um, I liked his goggles. Um, he was, he was great at Kansas, had a, had a good pro career. He was, he was a good point guard. Um, you know, those pre Derek Rose teams, Kirk Heinrich kind of kept those Bulls afloat a little bit, um, for a couple of years there. So Kirk Heinrich's my number two. My number one, I think we're going to be in agreement here. Got to trust the process. Joel Embiid, uh, dominant center. Um, you know, he's to me, he's my he's my wilt. Um, he's the guy who, to me, is the most dominant player. Very groundbreaking. Um, I just remember watching him in that one year at Kansas, and I was like, "Who is this guy?" <laughs> and they're like, "Yeah, he's from Cameroon." And I was like, "Where the hell is Cameroon?" Like, I I knew nothing about him, and just remember being like, "This guy looks like the like Shaquille O'Neal 2.0," and you know, here we are, and not not that far off, you know. So, um, yeah, gotta have Joel Embiid number one, um, you know. He he was going to be the number one pick in that draft if he didn't hurt him get get hurt before uh, the draft. So um, he was just so dominant, in Kansas. Yeah, I had never seen anything like it. Um, so yeah, that's that's my top four. Sorry, took took a little bit longer with that one, but yeah, I, I did the Kansas players. I do. I don't know. This was one where I was like, oh, I like a lot of these guys. Um, you know, a good decent amount of Hall of Famers. Um, you know, maybe not as star-studded as some of these other teams, but I, I do like a lot of these guys. 
Nice list, homie. Uh, Nick Collison, I would say, uh, as Stacey King would call it, he's a hard hat lunch pail type of player. Yep. Uh, exactly. Kind of like a Taj Gibson, like does a dirty work type of dude. Mm-hmm. That's what he reminds me of. Uh, yeah, I remember Nick Collison was uh, he was on that uh, team that went to the national championship. They lost mm-hmm. to Syracuse to your Syracuse Orange, mm-hmm. and uh, <laughs> with uh, Carmelo was there when yep. he was there for a year. So that was a, that was a really good team. I think that was the yeah. last time. That was uh, that was a time they made it, but they didn't win. And then after that, they won against Memphis when they had Derrick Rose and uh, Kansas had like Mario Chalmers and those types of players. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They won that one. That was 2008, Eight, 2007. Nine, yeah, around Some, between 2007, 2008. I want to yeah. say it's 2008, I want to say. But yeah, that was when they won yeah. one. Yeah, last time they won. So yeah, but Nick Collison was on that team. It was, it was a really good team. Uh, so for me, uh, my honorable mentions – uh, is obviously the Big Dipper, Wilt Stilt. Uh, we didn't get to see him play, but he, he changed the game. I mean, the guy do dropped a hundred, and he still holds he still holds so many scoring records. It's unbelievable how talented this guy was. And rebounding records yeah, too. Like scoring records, rebounding records. A lot of those amazing. will never be broken. Yeah, ever. it's just it's there's no way. This dude was absolutely amazing. I want to say he averaged fifty in a season. He did. Yeah, he's just he's just amazing. He's one of the best players of all time. I, I think he's given, even though when he played back when he played, uh, he's probably still a top five player of ever, at least at least in the conversation. Will Chamberlain, so he has to be on at least honorable mention for me. We didn't get to see him play, obviously, but uh, that's one. And then I also had uh, Danny Manning. Danny Manning went number one, really solid player at Kansas. He had a lot of back issues, never really got to be that dude. He was fantastic no, at Kansas. No. Never really, got, never really could get past those injuries. The back injuries really killed him. Yeah. And, you know, like uh, when, when it's, especially when it's a bigger guy, because Danny Manning was, I want to say he's around 6'9", 6'10"-ish, right? Pretty big guy, bigger guy. Yeah, Once they have the back forward. issues, the foot issues, that's it, man. It's really hard to come back from that. Um, so just want to give some respect to him. He was, uh, unfortunately, he was one of those what could have been type of dudes, but good player, sure. especially a Kansas great player. And, uh, Another team that we forgot to mention in the seventies that won a title in Milwaukee with uh Luol Cinder oh, yeah, and Big O. With, with, Cinder yeah, and Big yeah. O. They won yep. a title. So yeah, the seventies was, was crazy. Yeah. Was just, teams were just winning all over the place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's just the one I forgot to mention. Um we wanted to mention. So for me, number four, I have Captain Kirk, Kirk Heinrich. Nice. Um, big fan of his. Uh he was a bull, obviously, predominantly for his career. I remember watching him, like I said, those pre uh Pre Noah Rose, uh, Bulls teams, Dang teams. He was on. There. He was kind of Dang was on there with them eventually. But yeah. Kirk Heinrich, he was. Uh, I remember he was in that draft, that really amazing draft with uh, um, Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh and those guys. You know what I mean? He was in that yeah. draft. I want to say. So uh, that was a really deep draft. So he was also on that team. He was Nick Collison's teammate when they went to the national championship game, and they lost to Syracuse. So he was on there, really great player at Syracuse, a really great player in the NBA. And I don't want to say great player, but really, really solid player. He was a captain of the team. He kind of helped made the Bulls respectable for a little bit at least until they kind of rebuilt with the Rose Noah type of core. Um, but uh, they were bad for a while, and then he came along. He was a solid pick. I want to say he went seven in the draft, but I remember him. Uh, I remember T.J. Ford went after him to Milwaukee. You remember T.J. Ford? 
But uh, yeah, yep, solid player. I like Captain Kirk. He had a really funny uh, local commercial with uh, Benny the Bull, <laughs> and it was like he, and I'm trying to remember what it was. Deuce, me and Deuce always talk about this when we talk about Kirk Heinrich. Um, he was in a barber shop, right? And they were saying something, and all Kirk Heinrich, he, was, he looks so out of place in there, and he's just like, "But we're talking about my boy Benny." <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, me, but I just I said something about Kirk Heinrich. I want to say like last week or something. And my brother Deuce, for the listeners, my brother, he was like, uh, "Don't be talking about my boy Benny." <laughs> so, yeah, so it's a fun local thing. So he was fun. Uh, Stacy King had a lot nice. of fun with him. Yeah. Um, so number three for me is the truth, Paul Pierce. Nah, so I'm yeah. pretty sure I told you this, homie. But uh, when I I want to say he was. One of my favorite players when I was like 11 or 12, maybe 13. Paul Pierce was one of my favorite players, if you can believe that. Uh, wow. He's not He's not anymore, <laughs> but uh, he was. And uh, yeah, so I really liked uh, I really liked Paul Pierce back then. I, I don't dislike him now. He's just not one of my favorite players ever anymore. But really good player. And like I said, for whatever reason, like these Boston guys keep coming up. I'm not really – we're not Boston – no, we're per not. se, but we just respect talent. He was a good player. I mean, he won the finals MVP. Definitely well-deserving Hall of Famer. Uh, good defender, really good defender. And a lot of players during that era, when they're asked who was who was you know the the hardest guy, the hardest defender you had on you, or toughest defender you had, a lot of people say Paul Pierce. So I can respect that. Really good two-way player. So the truth is my number three. And he rocked the OG headband that I like, which is cool. So Paul yeah, Pierce. He did. And for whatever reason, when I think uh when I think Kansas prior to somebody else who we've talked about already, prior to this person, when I would hear when I would think Kansas basketball, I would think Paul Pierce and I would think Kirk Heinrich right away. It's very synonymous for me. Uh number two is one that you, they didn't get any mention, but you know how much I really like him. I'm trying to get you we're, you're coming around on him, but uh tsunami Bobby. Kelly oh, Uber. I always forget Uber. about him, that he yeah. went to Kansas. I always think Dude. he's a Kentucky guy for some reason. No. Okay, but yeah, you know I like you know I like Tsunami Poppy. So. Yeah, of course. Uh, I, was, I, was player, happy, yeah. I was happy when uh, the Hornies signed him. I think he's been solid. He's been kind of uh, falling off a little bit lately. He hasn't really gotten as many minutes, but really solid guy. He's instant offense off the bench. He'll shoot it a ton, and you hope that he makes it a ton. But uh, solid player, really fun to watch. Uh, he seems like a really interesting type of dude, too. If you've like watched any video, any interviews with him or things like that, seems like a really cool dude. Really colorful, out there, fun to be with. Seems like he'd be a fun teammate. So I really like Tsunami Poppy. I think he's a solid role player. I'm glad he's on the Hornies. I think he really fits that that team, that chemistry. Good player. So I like I like him. So Kelly Ubre is my number two. And uh, the shocker of all shockers, number one. Uh, a guy who you bought me, like I've said in the show before, you bought me a bobblehead of this person for Christmas, right? It's Christmas, right? Yeah. Um, and he's on my shelf, you know, in the living room. We trust the process. Joel Embiid. I mean, what's there to say? Love Joel Embiid. He's um, one of my favorite players in the league. Easily love him. Fantastic talent. I mean, you both say that... Uh, him and Jokic are the greatest, the best centers in the league. Easy, hands down. MVP candidate. He's a really funny dude. He's, I just like him. He's really entertaining to watch. Fantastic player. He's one of the most talented bigs I've ever seen. Just the things that he can do. He does it on both ends of the floor. Really good on defense as well. 
and he's an MVP conversation again. He was second last year. And if he doesn't, even if he doesn't win it this year, I think there's, if he can stay healthy, which luckily looks like he's been doing, hopefully, uh, I think he will win an MVP at least once in his career. He's just that talented. So the process, Joel Embiid is my number one surprise, surprise, right? <laughs> nice. Yeah. Well, he's, he's definitely, um, you know, one of the most talented players um, in the league and in Kansas history. Um, yeah. He's, he's one of those guys where like, he was so good at Kansas and then, you know, he played like maybe 50 games in his first three years in the league. Like he was just so injured. It was, you were worried. You're like, is it going to be another one of these what ifs where he's gonna, you know, just be like Greg Oden, you know, a great college player who injuries, you know, robbed him, but he ended up, you know, despite all those setbacks, you know, ended up really having, you know, being, being amazing. So, so it's, it was kind of a, a good ending to that story. Yeah, I'd like to um, see Zion maybe do the same because he's, he's yeah, going. Yeah, that would be what, great. His third year, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I'd like to see him maybe hopefully have a same trajectory of finally staying healthy because see what they can do, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, anyways, that that was that was fo 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 fo. Um, that's our our top four guys from the final four teams. Looking forward to watching these final four games. It will be a lot of legendary coaches in these games. You know, Coach K, Bill Self um jay wright um you know N- north carolina no longer has roy williams um i think their new coach is named hubert hubert davis hubert davis yeah but yeah he's a pro he's solid player yeah. good coach in his own right so um maybe this is where he he starts you know his his legend starts so um yeah looking forward to those and yeah looking forward to seeing you know, both the, all these teams have some players who might be really good pros. Um, so, you know, Paolo wow. Bancaro on Duke, um, you know, uh, uh, the, the um, Nova has uh, uh, Gillespie who could end up being a good backup point guard. So there's, there's some pros in this game too. Yeah. Uh, Mark Williams from Duke. It looks like he's mm-hmm. going to be really solid, really, really solid. Almost like a Robert Williams, Time Lord type of player, potential at least, really solid. Yep. Uh, Armando uh, Baycott from UNC, just kind of a beast. I don't know if it's going to translate to the next level, but him, you also got more on Nova towards ACL, unfortunately, so he's out. But uh, yeah, some really solid players all, all, all the way around. Yeah. Um, so as a bonus, uh, Let's we'll, we'll pick who we we'll just you know really quickly say who we think is going to win. Just completely up in the air. We've we're you know we've we've said we're not you know die hard follow every game college basketball guys. We kind of just watch when we can. We're more we're we really tend to lean pro when it comes to football and basketball. But we'll make a pick really quickly. And uh, but yeah, off the top of your head, homie, top four uh, rank the mascots four through one. Yeah, so we got, so... Uh, we got uh, Jayhawks, Tar Heels, Blue Devils. And Wildcats. So I'm going to go number one. Um, this is hard, but I, I do feel – I think Jayhawks is so cool. I think that little bird – I don't know. I, I've always liked it. I think it's original. Um, you know, as opposed to Nova, who's the Wild – like how many teams have the Wildcats as their mascots? So many. Jayhawks is unique. I always – anytime you say Jayhawk, I'll be Kansas right away. 
Um, I always picture that little mascot, you know, he's like a little bird holding with the a shoes, basketball. Yeah, yeah with the, the shoes. shoes. <laughs> so I got I got Jayhawk as number one. Number two is Tar Heels. I love the color. I love the, you know, the foot, um, like the little foot logo. I, I remember I used to have a North Carolina Tar Heels hat like that. I liked it because it was like that color blue and it had that Tar Heel on it. Three, I'll go with the Wildcats. Pretty unoriginal. Um, I don't know. That doesn't do much for me. Four, Blue Devils. I, it doesn't make any sense. Everyone knows Devils are red um, <laughs> or, or white. Uh, <laughs> Um, but yeah, you know, I, this might just be my Duke cape, but like, I just, it's a mascot that does, that doesn't make any sense. Now, if you ask me about the wake, wake forest demon deacons, that's cool. Um, but blue, blue, uh, Duke blue devils. I'm not a big fan of, so, yeah. or the, um, yeah. uh, I, I, I prefer the Arizona state sun devils. I think it's cooler. Yeah. That, yeah. Oh, that one's that's so a cooler cool. one. Yeah. Well, he has yeah, a little yeah. pitchfork. Yeah. That was, yeah, that yeah, was awesome. yeah. 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 So, um, and who's your pick to win the national title? You know, I'm going to go on a limb here and say Kansas. I think this is the year self really breaks through. Um, he's had trouble kind of getting to the promised land um, with Kansas. But, um, you know, wouldn't be shocked if, if Duke won it. Wouldn't be shocked if Villanova won it. I would be shocked if North Carolina won it. Um, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out on a limb and say Kansas. Oh, man. Uh, everything is telling me. I'll make my pick really quick. Everything is telling me to pick Duke, that they're the most talented team left. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. Even with the injury to Moore, I got a feeling. I'm going to go Nova. I'll go okay. Villanova on this one. Because, okay. I mean, the matchups, we got Kansas, Nova, and we got Duke, UNC, which me and you, I, I assume we're going to watch that. It's going to be oh, crazy. Yeah. I mean, we're going to watch the final four. It's going to be great. Yeah. But that's going to be crazy. That That's the first time I really seems to have matched up in the, the tourney. So we'll watch that, but yeah, everything's telling me Duke is obviously the, I think the most talented team just with just with Williams and and Banchetto alone are just two. Mm-hmm. You know, they're gonna be first round picks. I would say AJ Griffin too. Yeah, Griffin too. They're just so they're just so talented. But I don't know. I have a feeling. I'm gonna I'm gonna got a feeling. I'm gonna go with Nova in this one. So, um, for me, now that I'm thinking about it, you, you sold me. I was gonna go Tar Heels one. I'm going Jayhawks one. Nice. I know it's just yeah. something about that bird, you know, the red yeah. and the blue. I like the colors too, the red and the blue. Yeah, something too. about him with those little shoes on. <laughs> <It's just funny. laughs> like, I mean, you're right though. Like I, I like if you tell me, uh, like there's not not I can't think of every single mascot of every school, like what exactly it looks like. But if you tell me, imagine, describe to me what the Kansas mascot looks like. I can do it in a second. Bird, uh-huh. he's got the big beak. He's like facing towards the left. You can yeah. see those two those, like yellowish, orangish, brown shoes he's wearing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's pretty dope. I don't know. I, I kind of like it. It's different, Jayhawks. It's different. So I'll, I'll go with the Kansas Jayhawks. And uh, number two, Tar Heels. Same for me. Um, you know, they have a you know a curly horn, a ram. Dope. I really like that. That uh, baby blue, sky blue color, Carolina blue is really nice. Um, this is a tough one for me. So. Uh, I'll, I'll I'll agree with you. I'll go Wildcats three because it's just you know it's basically a tie at the bottom for me. Wildcats is three, nothing too special there. The, the colors and the logo for Nova aren't too exciting for me. That's pretty boring to be real with you. And uh, I'll go the Blue Devils as well. They can they can fight over the three spot for me. Um, I agree with you. Like Devils are not blue; they're red. <laughs> so and and also I like the uh, I agree with you. I, I like I like the Sun Devils. 
of Arizona State better. I think it's a, a way more dope logo. So uh, yeah, so that's that's for me. So uh, Jayhawks, Tar Heels, and fighting for the third spot is uh, Wildcats and Blue Devils. Nice. Yeah, you know, one thing I will say, we, we definitely like the NBA more than college hoops. College hoops is NBA beat way big time on like mascots and you know like their their logos and stuff like that the mascots i just love like unique mascots like the jayhawks or you know like the the demon deacons or the sunday i don't know i just think that's more fun than like everything being named you know the wolves or the tigers or whatever or the bears or something or the bears the yeah. tigers the lions yeah um so yeah, no, that that that's cool. Yeah, I, I hope everyone enjoys the final four. I always love the final four. Um, even if I never pay attention to like college basketball throughout the season, I always tune in for for the NCAA tournament. So yeah, this will be a this will be a good weekend. A lot of history. Um, but you know, all these teams have a pretty pretty steep history. So it'll be good. And, um, uh, really quick, homie, shout out to the St. Peter's Peacocks, which is a fun Oh, uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, I was I was really hoping they would have went all the way. That was so fun. We love the underdog. Remember those George Mason, Oral Roberts, yep. Davidson when Stevie was there. Um, it would have been so much fun. They're 15 seed. So just want to show some love to the St. Peter's Peacocks. They got like barely over 2,000 uh, students. They're in Jersey City, Jersey. So around, you know, around where you're from, my guy. And uh, the sure. Peacocks is a, a really different uh, mascot, which is fun. And so respect to them for getting that far. It was a great story. And uh, Shaheen Holloway, their coach, who's now at Seton Hall, he got the job yeah. there for six years. So congrats to him. Uh, just watching them, really gritty team, grimy, uh, fantastic, amazingly coached team. I think I think yeah. Shaheen Holloway is going to do a great job at his alma mater of Seton Hall. So just want to give some respect to them. They were a lot of fun to watch. For sure. Yeah, they were they were a great Cinderella story. Me, I know me and my brother-in-law, my dad, we're all we were rooting for them. Uh we were I was with my family this last weekend. We were all rooting for for uh St. Peter's the whole way. So, um great run. Um good good for coach Holloway. Um congrats on on that that job. Very well deserved. Um so yeah, why don't we uh, why don't we start to close things up with our our two regular final segments of the episode? Um, it's been a while, um, so I'll just remind everyone uh, we're gonna go move right into our slime ball of the week. Um, so we're both both Matt and I are gonna pick some guys who have been a, a particularly slimy these last two weeks <laughs> since we've last recorded. Um, you know, lots of, lots of scumbags, uh, you know, slime balls, scallywags, uh, ne'er do gooders. Uh, what else? What's another one? Scoundrels. Scoundrels. Yeah. That's shady. One. Scoundrels. Shady yeah. Shady people. Um, anyway, so we'll, we'll go into our slime ball of the week. Uh, I'll, I'll kick this one off. Um, and I'm going to keep this one pretty simple cause it's a pretty simple story. Um, pretty, pretty. Pretty simple lesson to me. So um, recently, Yusuf Nurkic, uh, center for the Portland Trailblazers, got fined forty thousand dollars for um, taking a fan's phone, grabbing it, and throwing it into the stands. Um, and so, you know, he got fined a huge amount for confronting a fan, for you know, like being aggressive towards a fan. 
Um, but then some more information was reported about this um, from some local journalists and, and stuff like that. And apparently this fan who was sitting courtside um, was saying really terrible stuff about Nurkic's mother, um, you know, used, used a, a really terrible word to refer to his grandmother who recently died of COVID. Um, so, you know, while I could say, yeah, Nurkic is a slime ball for, you know, falling for it and taking this guy's phone and chucking it. Um, I'm just going to be honest with y'all. I, I, I think that fan got away lightly. Um, if someone the size of Yusuf Nurkic, if you call that guy um, and you call his his late grandmother um, a, a slur, a bad word, uh, you're lucky you're walking out of that stadium on your own volition and not in a stretcher. Um, so for me, the clear slime ball here is the fan. Um, you know, we, we've this is this has been a, a topic on this show before, and like it seems like it's every couple of weeks, uh, some fan makes a complete ass of themselves. Um, you know, I get it. People are passionate. You want to like get in guys' heads. But there's a way to do it without insulting someone's family. That that to me is like, you can talk about a person's game, um, you know, sit, tell them they're chokers, tell them they ain't got no jump shot, tell them they're trash to f- trash on defense, whatever you want. You don't talk about the families, um, and you certainly certainly not a, a family member who's who's passed away. Um, I think you and I have both had very dear grandparents pass away in recent years and it's it's you know if that guy said that about about my grandpa i'd have clocked him in the face <laughs> like i'm still, like even if he's bigger than me whatever um yeah so my slime ball of the week is is the fan who said that stuff about yusuf nurkic's grandma should he have responded like that by throwing the phone um a lot of people would say no he should have kept his cool i say I mean, good restraint. I would have punched that guy in the face if he said something about <laughs> my grandma. Uh, just being being honest with everyone here, right? Uh, being transparent. So, um, you know, uh, I'm not going to criticize Nurkic for that. I think he showed restraint by just tossing the phone. I think it's kind of funny. He just threw this guy's phone into the stands. Um, the fan is lucky, again, that they didn't get hurt. Um, you know, I know these are these are men who get paid a lot. Um, but people still have dignity and people have pride. And if you damage a person's pride like that, or talk bad about their family member, um, you got to be ready for the consequences. That fan did not have to face the real consequences of their actions. Um, someday in life they will. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, slimy things happen to slime balls you know you know what i'm saying homie so um yeah my slime ball of the week is the that that fan um and i don't know their name i don't want to know their name um i don't really want to think about them again but yeah that that's my slime ball of the week um i don't know if you heard that story or not but you know that that was an easy one for me yeah i did hear the story about him tossing the phone but i didn't I didn't think to look into. I would just assume the fan would just, you know, give them the business. You know what I mean? Like just, you know, getting in his head or whatever. But yeah, I mean that that's like we always talk about like when we, if we critique a player, we criticize a player. Um, it's usually based on their ability. It's not a personal attack. 
I mean, yeah. the slime ball thing just calling out when we hear, when we see nonsense or people being shady or whatever, or something that they deserve to be called out. But for the most part, it's just all, you know, we're just, we're just critiquing the game and, and our own opinion. This is our opinion. You know what I mean? And we don't attack them personally, but yeah, saying stuff like that, like I can just imagine what they said. That's just wrong, man. You know what I mean? Mm. That's just crossing the line. Just be like, yo, you, you know what I mean? You can't shoot or whatever. You know what I mean? You're lame AF or something. But don't be like saying stuff about the dude's family. You know what I mean? It's shady. So, yeah, he got off. You know, if this was, he, I guarantee if it was in the streets, he wouldn't have been saying exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah. Especially with a guy who's like seven feet tall who like could step on him. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, hey, he got, he got off easy. I don't, I don't blame Nurkic for doing that. I mean, forget that. I mean, let's just be real. F that guy. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Yeah. So, good choice, my guy. Um, so for me, we have a the first ever back to back slime ball of the week. We have uh, everybody's favorite TV personality, sports TV personality, Uncle Steve, Stephen A. Smith, is still doing what he does, my guy. He's still doing it. He is still calling out um, the MVP. He's still calling out Nikola Jokic. He went again. On first take, I had saw this where he was talking about, I want to say it was MVP candidates. This is maybe a week ago or so. And he was with Kendrick Perkins on there with him, which we know he was also uh, one of our slime balls, my slime ball of the week. So they're talking about Nikola Jokic, and of course, then he calls him. He's basically saying how he's unathletic. And he can't jump over a curb. You know, the whole white man can't jump in again, which is really old, like we talked about last time. And uh, he called him a big tumble lard again. And uh, I'm just I'm just getting tired of it, homie. I'm just, I'm just not going to tolerate it anymore. Uh, it's just not cool. And every time, that this is probably like the fourth or fifth time I've heard him say that. But it's only the second time I've called him out on the show about it. But you know what? I just at this point, we're just going to have. We, me and you had talked about. It, we're just going to have a rule where I can, I'll probably have another slime ball of the week if there is another one. But uh, he will he will automatically be mine. And he will eventually make the, as we would like to say, the Hall of Slime, which is uh, for the listeners. So basically, the Hall of Slime would be if you're if you've made the Slime Ball of the Week category for either one of us combined uh, four times or four times, then you you can be nominated for the Hall of Slime and enshrined there for how slimy you are. Same thing for our next segment, the Hall of Homies. If you're four times, you can get in the Hall of Homies. But yeah, basically, he's already at two, Uncle Steve. He keeps doing it. I'll keep calling him out for it. It's not cool. And I actually, as I like to say nowadays, I got receipts on this dude. So uh, uh, P. Moore's actually got the sound. So do you want to go ahead and play it, homie? Hopefully yeah. it comes through. But I actually got this dude saying this because I had to record it because it just blew my mind. Like, really? So go ahead, homie. All right. Here we go. Yeah, so uh, that's my thoughts on homie. You know, I, I just don't tolerate it. You know, Jokic is such an amazing player. And this is not like, you know, oh, we like Jokic. It's just not cool, period. I don't care who it is. You just don't do that. But, like, what does this dude have to do to get your respect? Like, he is – there's a very high chance he's back-to-back MVP. He's literally – like, you could almost say literally carrying Denver right now who's missing their two their other two great players. 
with you know lineups that would be lottery teams probably sometimes. You know what I mean? He's just amazing. And he's a really humble dude. Seems like a really nice guy. Like, I don't see what there is to throw shade at him for. So that's just my thoughts. You've heard that. But I want to get your thoughts on this too, homie, because obviously you're in Denver, you're a local guy with the nugs and things like that. And I know it bothers you. When I texted you about it, you're like, you're like, you told me you're like WTF again. That's what you said. <laughs> so go ahead, homie. For the listeners, go ahead and uh as uh, another one of our friends, uh, Skipper, would say, go ahead and unleash on this topic. <laughs> so. Yeah. So it's something as like a Denver fan, uh, myself and a lot of other fans have, you know, unfortunately had to get used to. Um, you know, we're a smaller market team. Um, Denver is not not even close to one of the biggest media markets in the NBA. Um, and so, like, not a lot of people really get to watch um, the Nuggets that much. Um and so to me, this is just like a lazy thing we hear all the time. Like, oh, he's unathletic or he's slow or whatever. And it, it just isn't really accurate. You know, he's he it, maybe like two or three years ago, which may have been the last time some of these TV personalities will last watch the Nuggets for all I know. Um, but, you know, maybe two or three years ago, it would have been fair. He was out of shape. He definitely did not take care of himself. But he's really like – really made huge strides. He's one of the fittest players in the league. I mean, he plays so many minutes. We've talked about this before. Like he plays more than anyone as the focal point of the offense and as the rim protector for this team. So um, it's, it's just not really rooted in reality. And, and the thing I think that is, you know, not, not to excuse anything, but like uncle Steve seems to think he's, giving a compliment when he says this stuff like he seems to think um you know like by saying he's a tough lard like or he's unathletic that it makes what he does even more impressive the thing is you can just say the second part you don't have to say the first part you can just say he's really freaking good at basketball and he's amazing and it just because he you know, you don't have to mention the way he looks or, you know, the, the way his body looks or something like that. You can say the good part without saying the bad part. And that's what's so infuriating. Um, you know, like, I don't care what the first part of the sentence is. If it ends in and he's a tub of lard, it's insulting. <laughs> like, no matter how good the first part is, the second part is an insult. Just don't do it anymore. Like, you're you're. And, and and he doesn't seem to realize it, which is is crazy. I mean, somehow his producers let him do it again, um, and Perks just laughing it off, sitting over there laughing it off. So I I don't really get it. I don't see why you can't just say with no you know qualifiers, this guy's amazing. What he's doing is incredible. We don't need the part about his body, like we 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 don't need to hear that because it doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. He's he's probably going to repeat as MVP. And so, you know, he's a great player in his own right. He's not a great player for his shape or for how unathletic he is or whatever. He's just a great player. Um, and so I just don't feel like that any of the rest of it really needs to be stated. Um, and, and it's insulting to, 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 you know, him and to other people too. So, um, you know, I, I just, I just don't really get it. Um, so yeah, very worthy slime ball selection for sure. Yeah. Um, it's, and, and like I said before, I don't hate uncle Steve. I think he's really entertaining. 
but some of the stuff is just it's so off base, man. Like it doesn't make any sense. But I, yeah. I feel like I need to call even if I if I, I don't uh, if I like the person, I feel like I have to call them out for doing something I don't agree with, right? So it's kind of like if I said, "Man, Stephen A. Smith is a moron, but it sure is entertaining." You know what I mean? That's that's a backhanded compliment. It's like you just called this dude a moron, but he sure is entertaining. No, that's not how it works. You know what I mean? So I think that it's a thing where you can't don't give backhanded compliments, first of all. But also at the same time, like I'm gonna I'm gonna start calling out some of his uh pigskin takes because they're pretty some of them are pretty bad. They're really bad. And you know what if he that's that's how he wants to do it. You know what I mean? If he wants to be that type of dude and just be, you know, completely oblivious to certain things, then when he when he has a really bad pigskin take, I might just call it out on the show and be like, yo, this dude said this. This dude, uh, all he cares about. I will say this one. I'm gonna do one right now, actually, just because you know, really, it's got me heated a little bit because it just—it's so disrespectful and wrong. Like, how would a dude who who claims and knows so much hoops like not know? You know what I mean? What you see, but you know, maybe if you stopped watching, you know, the Lakers and the Nets every night and watching that, maybe if you actually watched a lot more basketball than just you know the same two teams over and over and over and over again, then maybe you'd actually know. A little bit more about these things, you know. You feel me, homie? So, like, uh, he's a, all he cares about is completion percentage when it comes to football. Oh, he completes sixty-two percent <laughs> of his passes. I'm like, yeah. I, I was like, I don't care. Uh, like we talked about, McCorkle Jones completes sixty-seven percent of his passes. You know why? Because he threw three of them. Like, I don't, I, I don't care if you complete a hundred percent of your passes. If all you're doing is 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 dumping it off for two yards to the back, then it's not. Then you're not good you know what i mean it's not yeah, the same but completion anything. percentage is such a misleading stat it does not it is not a, a no. perfect indicator of accuracy for a quarterback like he's like oh lamar jackson's completion percentage you didn't even get 60 percent. i'm like yeah but you see everything else that he does and he's not all of his passes aren't you know a dump off here you know screen pass here jailbreak screen it's all types of things so like maybe you know you should actually <laughs> – I'm going to quote one of my favorite movies, homie. Uh, it's called The Bronx Tale. And there's a character in there, Chaz Palminteri, says, next time you should know what's going on before you open your mouth. <laughs> That's all I got to say. It's a perfect way to end it right there. There you go. So. Yeah, well, well-deserved um, slime ball. So, yeah, we'll keep we'll keep the pressure on. But, uh, yeah, like turn, in, turn into the lighter side of things uh, – Let's give our homies of the week. Who who do you have as your your homie of the week? I'll let you kick this one off. And if it's the same one as I have, I don't know, man. So yeah, so homie of the week. So this is the flip side of slime ball. We want to end on a positive note. Send good vibes out there. Um, give some love to you know some some players who we really are you know, liking or they did something great or what have you. So this is the opposite of slime ball. So um, my homie of the week is a guy who played four years at Georgia Tech, went undrafted last yes! year's draft. Don't tell me it's the same, dude. There's no way. Went undrafted in the draft, uh, six foot tall. He's from Brooklyn, New York. Um, and he's scrappy, man. So he, dude, You no can't way. see my phone. It says Jose Alvarado right no here. No way, dude. That's crazy. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so this guy... Um, well, I would say it. He's uh, he's Boricua, he's from New York, six foot tall, like 180, scrappy little dude. Uh, Jose Alvarado, 
So, mm-hmm. um, like I said, four years at Georgia Tech. He was a ACC Defensive Player of the Year his senior year. He could have went. He could have went back one more year because of COVID. He's like, no, nah, I'm gonna see if I can get drafted. He didn't get drafted. He got signed by uh, the Pelicans. He was playing with their G League team, the Birmingham Squadron, and he's uh, he's you know been playing double digit minutes the last I want to say for a majority of their games now, and he's just a baller. And the reason why I picked him is because of course you know I love my Latino Hoopers, but also just because we love the underdog story. It's one of our favorite things about sports. What we love about sports. And he was uh, offered a contract, I want to say on Monday, where he was given a, a four-year deal. Not the, not the entirety of the deal was guaranteed. You understand with these two-way deals. But he was given a four-year deal, $6.5 million. And uh, even though it's not fully guaranteed, at the end of the day, he'll at least be there next year uh, on the Pelicans. He's earned it. He's a really scrappy player. I really like how he's – he kind of reminds me a little bit. They're not the same type of player, but kind of like how – uh, uh, Facundo Campaso was another guy that mm-hmm. I really, that we really like as well. It kind of reminds me of that a little bit, but a little bit more of a traditional point, not as small as Facundo is in terms of he doesn't play as small as Facundo. And um, really cool story about him is that he got into it with the process, our favorite Kansas player, Joel Embiid, and uh, they they both got double techs. And he went up mm-hmm. to the process. This dude, you know, six-foot guy, he's undrafted, rookie, out of Georgia Tech, goes up to the process who's a full foot taller than him and who's a superstar, and he tells him, hey, man, he goes, why'd you, why'd you make me get that tech? You know I can't pay that. <laughs> and they started, they were talking about during the game, they enjoyed it, I guess they became friends, and he said in an interview, he's like, the process actually paid the fine for me, which is, I mean, is that, that's the ultimate respect right there, man. He's like, yo. Game recognized game. Yeah, game recognized game, real recognized real, right? So he's just like, yeah, I'll pay your fine. So it is what it's like. I mean, that's that's a real one right there for the process as well. Uh, shout out to him for doing that. But also just shout out to Jose Alvarado. How many times can you get and the guy making you guys both get taxed and the dude, other dude pays for it? You know what I mean? So that's what's up for him. Uh, really, really happy for him. And really quickly before I turn over to the, the guru, which this is insane. I had a feeling that we we're going to pick the same guy. And I'm like, nah, the odds are just so tiny. There's no way. So this is this is the first for the Helmets, Hoops, and Homies podcast. Uh, I mean, we haven't been, this is only our second time doing it, but still, it's so crazy. So I just want to go ahead and uh I don't I don't have a Twitter. We don't have a Twitter, but uh I just I just Googled him really quick because I wanted to see if he had something on his Twitter. And he he went on there, has a picture of him signing the contract and also has a picture of him signing a jersey. And it says, the mission I am on is personal. I owe myself a lot. Hashtag believe. And the, the I and the E in the middle of believe is his number 15. So much love, Jose Alvarado. Boricua, New York. Scrappy dude. Underdog. You know, I mean, I love this dude. He's dope. So Jose Alvarado, you are my homie of the week. Great. Yeah. Well, great minds think alike, homie. Um yeah, it was just one of those feel-good stories. I, I just couldn't resist kind of picking him. He's a guy who I, I had kind of been watching. I, I like to watch Pelicans games because I like a lot of their players. I like CJ. I like Brandon Ingram. I like, um, you know, Valanchunas. I like Herb Jones. Like, they're just a fun team to watch. So I, I had been tuning in, and I've been learning more about this guy as the season went on. He's a New York kid, um, you know, went to Georgia Tech, four-year player there. 
Um, he's a really scrappy defender. Great, great at getting steals, really crafty, not like a great shooter, but like just a really good floor general. Um, so yeah, he's got a four year, six and a half million dollar contract. Now, like sometimes I feel like as fans, we see, we get so used to the giant contracts that people get that we come become numb to how much actual money this is, you know, no, he's not getting a four year, $150 million contract, but this is like life-changing money, like generational wealth, right? Like this guy's getting multiple millions of dollars. He can, you know, pay for, you know, all his kids to go to college without taking out loans. You can, you know, buy his parents a house. Like it's that type of money. So, you know, this is a, this is a, it's the real deal, man. Um, And it's just good to see, um, you know, a, a little guy like him who, you know, isn't, isn't, you know, popping up on, you know, biggest draft boards or anything, but, but get, but get a real contract. And I think it's a great, great move by the Pelicans. I think they've been making some pretty smart moves lately, even without Zion out there. So I kind of like the direction this franchise heading. Um, I think they're, they're, they're getting the right types of dudes, you know, um, good guys, good locker room guys, good leaders. So um, shout out to Jose Alvarado. My, 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 um, honorable mention who you actually also mentioned, um, you know, also mentioned already was, um, was Holloway from, from C- from, um, St. Peter. So happy to see him get that job too. So he was kind of my backup. Um, but you mentioned him too. Um, so we don't need to talk too much about him, but yeah, shout out to both those guys. Good things coming to good to guys who have earned it. Um, seem like stand up dudes. So lo- always love to see that in the sports world for sure. Yeah, so um, Jose Alvarado is halfway already to being nominated, a possible nominee for the Hall of Homies. So yeah, for Felicidades, sure, I, uh, Jose Alvarado um, for I, uh, for halfway to the Hall of Homies. So we love it, man. There's nothing. Uh, you, you, I remember you were telling me about this dude. Um, we we're talking about New Orleans. You're like, yo, they got this guy Alvarado, and I'm like, yeah, I know, man. He's just like, so I'm, <laughs> yep. really, I'm really happy for him, of course. Like I said, New York guy. Um, really happy for him. And like you say, he's a millionaire now. Yeah. So I'm really happy for him. And uh, we love the underdog stories and solid defender. Like he said, don't be fooled by the six. He's only six feet tall. He's like a bulldog. You know what I mean? He's that dude. So, yeah, man, I'm happy for him. So, yeah, that, that's crazy that we picked the same one, though, man. Yeah. I had a yeah, feeling. Cause... I was like, I had a feeling. I'm like, nah, there's no way. There's no way. But as soon yeah. as I saw the story, I'm like, this is this is a gimme for me. I gotta pick him. Um honorable well, mention for me is uh uh post-apocalyptic P, as I like to call him Paul George, balled yeah. out of his mind last night and carried the clips to a win. He was crazy, especially if you've seen that pass in the highlights, homie. Uh if you're able to see it, um, where he did like they it was like a lob they threw to him, but it was too low, so he just tapped it right back and dude just jammed it. That was so nice. dope. Yeah, so so Pandemic P, post-apocalyptic P, Paul George, our guy. He's my honorable mention. So there you go. Nice. Well, um, that's another episode of the Helmets, Hoops, and Hobies podcast. Thanks for uh tuning in. Uh thanks for your patience as we've been on a kind of other every other week schedule, but we should be getting back to our every our weekly uh recording schedule. So um thanks thanks again for listening we really appreciate it um and yeah we'll we'll catch you all next week
Yeah, I appreciate you to the listeners. Uh, it means a lot to us. And, yeah, fun, homie. We'll do it again next week. Sounds good. Peace out, homie. All right, later.